The following program has been rated M-A-F-C-T-Z-B-S. It contains facts, critical thinking, and zero bullshit. Welcome to the Ignorance Equation. I am your benevolent host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Soros, humble servant of the people. And as always, I am broadcasting to you live from the land of meth and honey, Caraville, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my wiretapping, my eavesdropping, my secret snooping producer, the Ethel to my Julius Rosenberg, the Virginia Hall to my OSS, the Mata Hurry to my... Double dealing, double agent, double cross. D, the Maven domestic. Hello, D. You know, I I can't say that I've ever really. No, there there was only one time I've ever felt like somebody was watching me, and I was right. But usually, I you know I love that song. Love it, absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That nobody has ever mm-hmm. stalked me in my life. Am I not stalking worthy? Mm-hmm. Nobody has ever took time out to stalk me. It's not fun. Um, so I have been stalked once, and let me tell you, it's it's kind of it's not fun, not at all. It was um, I was cool until I was the only one at work by myself, and then it wasn't cool anymore. Like I was like, okay, you can stop now. Well, um, I had a girl once accuse me. She we broke up. She broke up with me, and she's like, you know, you have a very kind of obsessive personality. You're not gonna start stalking me, are you? And this is back in my party days, and I was like, um, well, for one, stalkers get up before noon, so I don't think I quite have <laughs> the energy. I'm way too fucking lazy to be a stalker. I don't have a car, so I don't think I'm going to hitchhike 30 miles to put, a, like, a cat head in your mailbox. So there's, there's a lot of reasons <laughs> I won't be stalking you. But anyway, right. let's move on. And a man who is more anonymous than anonymous, more rebellious than a rebel yell, and more bleached than a bleached whale. The erotically bleached belly bathed badger. Say that three times. <laughs> right? <laughs> God. So I had a stalker once. I had an ex-girlfriend stalk me for a few months, and then she's like disappeared off the face of the earth. I had nothing to do with it, but yeah, she's still alive. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> no, she was funny. Well. I fed up of, of me trying to hide from her for six months, and then she finally moved on, thankfully. But, yeah, it was kind of scary. Now I can't so what, pay somebody to stalk me. Yeah, I was going to say, what was wrong with this girl where she was stalking you and you were trying to get away? 
I, I, I really don't know. I mean, that, that, that's the other question you have to ask yourself. I mean, it's one of those things in the universe you just don't have answers to. <laughs> Very well. All righty, and a girl who is constantly being monitored by the NSA, not because she's a threat to national security, but because her voice is so damn sexy. Fern Thompson. Hello, hello, everybody. You know, I don't think I've ever had a stalker, per se. Like, not a really bad oh, well, you're stalker. Like I've had. now. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, now we're we're flush with stalkers. But, you know, I've had the creepy, creepy times, but I think the worst one was the guy that followed me off the interstate. And, Dee, I can relate to you being alone at work because I was going to an empty office to do paperwork and catch up on appointments and insurance. And this dude made, you know, put his two fingers up and made the fellatio sign on the interstate and then followed me off the interstate. That was scary. I actually got a cell phone that day. That was why I got a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone before. I was wow. so creeped out. Maybe he was telling you had four in a row. That's a great for T-Mobile. Oh God, it was it was horrible. It was Maybe scary. Maybe he was letting you know that the road split up ahead and to be careful. You never know what he was actually trying to tell you, Fern. See, you're uh, you not with two fingers level. in the tongue. I'm pretty sure he wasn't warning me about traffic or uh, you know how the interstate was and and the exits. I'm I'm pretty sure oh, that wasn't a, yeah, an that, exit that, warning. Maybe he wanted you to everybody's a victim. Everybody's a victim. <laughs> it was awful. I think he's just offering you to have some croissants. Do you yes. wanna yes. you wanna put out a disclaimer, uh, Fern, since you've got your new kind of public Fern Heart page out there to interact with our audience to please not send yes. junk because yes. you've been some pretty creepy guys, haven't you? Not a lot. Yeah, and, you know, I love interacting with everybody on the page. I think it's great. And I don't know what the the line of thinking is. You know, if I don't know you, I'm certainly not going to fly to France to to see you or Nigeria or wherever you are. And I'm certainly Mm -hmm. not going to invite you here. I'm in a relationship. I'm very happy. I do not need pornographic pictures sent, doggy style. I do not need marriage invitations or marriage proposals. I am, I'm, I'm good. I'm not interested in that. But I am interested in the exchange of free ideas and open communication, and I would love to get people on board with that instead of uh, some of the other stuff I've gotten. I've had to block a few but people. But this stuff to has to way. work, right, for people who keep doing it. When I was dating this girl, Vanessa, on on my space, somebody had rode her from like South Africa, and I was like, "Well, write him back, see what he says." And and he was like, "You're so beautiful," and all this stuff. And they had talked back and forth for only like a day or two, and he he wanted to marry her. And by the end of the conversation, he wanted her to smuggle diamonds in her ass back to the U.S. for him. He wanted <laughs> to smuggle diamonds in her ass for him. And I was like, "This oh happened." Like if you ask, if this dude asks a thousand people, there has to be somebody that's agreeing, or nobody would waste their time. I don't understand the 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 kind of people. I guess it's the same as like thirteen year olds or fourteen year olds that run off to join ISIS. I guess there's like every type out there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and and let me tell you, if I'm smuggling diamonds in my ass, the only reason I'm doing it is because I get to keep them. First of all. Second of all, if you're looking for a relationship, which entails something more than just a one-night wham-bam, thank you, ma'am. If you're looking for a relationship, I can assure you that harassing somebody that you barely know and telling them what nice lips they have and sending them pornographic pictures, this is not going to get you the type of relationship you're looking for. 
I mean, you go down the street and pay somebody for that. That's not going to happen. So if anyone out there thinks that this is effective, I can assure you it is not. Did you hear about the girl just got caught smuggling one pound of cocaine in her vagina? Oh, my gosh. Wow. I feel like there's a punchline coming here. Let me ask you before we move on, Fern, (laughs) because I'm not a person who knows a lot about high fashion. Ass diamonds, are those for formal wear or casual wear? (laughs) Well, how do you think the chocolate diamond came to be? Okay, oh let's move God. on. Oh. <laughs> this is true. This is absolutely true. It's for rich people who have nothing better to spend their money on. For $450, you can buy a little capsule that's infused with gold flake dust, and when you swallow it the next day, your poo actually comes out sparkling gold, and it is a real item that they it sell is. to rich people. Wait, wait, wait. Now, I... Because that's what mine looks no, like anyways, with no help. Uh-huh. Actually, I happen to know um, if you go on Etsy and look for uncustomary goods, shout out to Mary, um, you can actually buy glitter pills that yes. have the same purpose, but you can pick your color. However, one should note that they are not actually intended for human consumption because it won't actually do it. But yeah, still, it's just, a fun idea, like- and hers are like 10 bucks. The cocaine snorting kits on Amazon, they actually sell these. It comes with a mirror, a razor blade, a little spoon to snort, and it says, not for use with cocaine. It says, right, the disclaimer, right? I'm like, not for use with cocaine, but it's... They just have to market it as like an Al Pacino Scarface memorabilia type kit. Yes. And they were smart. All right, let's move on because we're getting behind here. Dee, who is coming up on the show the next few weeks? Hit us. Oh, my gosh, who isn't coming up on the show? Like, seriously? Okay. Um, well, I could think of one person, we're, we're, and I've got a nasty email to prove uh, it. Now, now. Okay, we've got Steven Spadova, who's a men's child support advocate. He will be on next Sunday to school us in the ways of men's child support advocacy. Um, we'll also have Caleb Sinan back on Kettlefish. We are going to have James Meridino from SLC Punk 2. Wendy Starling's coming back to play some more trivia. We've got Corey Clark from Warrior Soul. He's going to be on the Ignorance Equation because he does know politics. Then we're going to have Heidi Heaslett on Kettle of Fish. She's super awesome. We've got comedian Hakeem Combs coming on. Uh, then we've got comedian Rebecca Lee coming on a couple times. We've got comedian Chris Mohan coming on. And we've got... What a really, really cool magician slash upcycler, Steve Trash, coming on. Uh, we've also got our 100th episode coming up. We're going to have John Lear and Rachel from King of the Nerds and William Sanderson and hopefully a really big show, but we don't want to spoil that yet. And then today, this afternoon, um, I will be calling and we will be speaking with from head of the class, Keenan and Kel, and a half dozen other things. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan Frischman today. That'll be tons of fun. Very nice. And Mike Ooh. Bushman is joining our panel, and we love yes. Mike. Mike Bushman. I yes. love Mike. All right. Mm-hmm. Very Let's Mike. Get this Mike first is thing. actually in Missouri today. Mike is within 150 miles of me today. So he Does invited me to you, Mike. Maybe Mike's he stalking not- you. Maybe you yeah, have a stock. <laughs> well, he invited me for coffee, and, and you know me. You know, I don't know if he's really Mike Bushman or if it's an NSA agent. So, unfortunately, we're not meeting up for whatever. No one knows what you, you look like. You just narrowed down Why your don't... location by saying that. 
<laughs> Why don't you send right. an imposter? Since no one knows what you look like, pay like um, some guy to there go out go. there and pretend he's you, and see if it's safe and scope it out for you. Well, like when Kenny answered work. the phone the other day when I called Fern, and he's like, "Hi, Dwayne." I'm like, "Oh, hi, Fern. Your voice. You do have a cold, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's hit this. Um, this is something. That happened, and I'm going to post this on the Ignorance Equation page. And it's it's a good thing, too. So there's a sheriff in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, a Republican sheriff. He endorsed Bobby Jindal, very, very conservative. His name is Newell Norman. And recently he came out, and he has basically – you're seeing this more and more. You saw this – you see this a lot with Kasich. You saw it a little bit with Jeb Bush. You've seen it with Rand Paul. More and more Republicans are coming out, and they're saying, we're tired of the obstruction, we're tired of the division. And let me read you a couple quotes this guy said in a press rally, and he actually got a lot of um, cheers for this. And this isn't just him slamming Bobby Jindal. He's going somewhere. So here's a couple quotes from the good sheriff. He said, what a mess. Bobby Jindal was a better cult leader than Jim Jones. We drank the elixir for eight years. We remain in a... Um, conscious state, we walk to the edge of the cliff, we jump off, and he watched us. And guess what? Unlike Jim Jones, he did not swallow the poison. And he also says, we have to say, no, I'm a Republican. You'll like this, Delaney. I'm a Republican, but I'm not a hypocrite. We have to look at ourselves critically, you'll like that, um, Fern, as a party, and figure out where we are and what we want to be about, or what we're going to be about. And then finally, he says... And I have to listen to my Republican counterparts talk about this gobbledygook, blah, blah, blah. I'm sick and tired of hearing, and I'm going to like this, Obama, Obama, Obama. You know how much intelligence it takes to blame somebody or to blame something on someone else this much, you know, showing little teeny fingers. I'll propose a solution, work together. So I ran across this, and I was like, I write for a left-leaning news site called If You Only News. And I wrote about this, and because I was actually inspired that somebody was coming out and saying, "Hey, look, we've got to put." And I've said it a thousand times on the show, you know, when Congress acts like two bitterly newly divorced parents fighting over shit tooth and nail that doesn't even matter, like who gets to keep the B. Arthur collector plates, and their daughter is in the bathroom cutting herself and drinking drain cleaner. That's what I feel like America is right now. And I'm glad that more and more moderate Republicans are coming out and saying this is enough. And let me I'll let you guys chime in in a second, but I wrote this article. I posted this on well, they published it on a page that is followed mainly by liberal people. Half of them were still like, Well, screw Republicans anyways. But half of them said, Here's a couple quotes and this is this gives me a lot of hope. This guy is what we need more of. Maybe we could get things done. Great job, Sheriff. Everyone that lives in the USA should listen to this. To me, he is describing a Republican Party Democrats can live with. As a longtime liberal, I have to say to all my Republican friends that the Tea Party would be – I have said to all my Republican friends the Tea Party would be the demise of the Republican Party. And fairness is kind of what you always say. You embrace crazy, you get stuck with crazy. This is the kind of Republican America needs. The rest of them are sending the country to hell, referring to the extremists. More and more reasonable people are admitting the truth. Conjecture, hyperbole, and strict adherence to fundamentalism principles is not the foundation for any semblance of democracy. As the leader of a GOP explained recently, our party has gone batshit crazy. Everyone listening and living in the U.S. 
should listen to this post. This uh, this is a good video, and he's referring. Oh, and then um, somebody replied, "This is a good video, John, and very true. I hope people see the truth." So let's go around the table here. One, what do you think of the article I wrote? I know you guys are cool with me posting it on our show page, even though we made a deal. I wouldn't because of the content. And two, does it give you guys hope that you're seeing liberals say, good, let's cross over and let's take hands with Republicans and let's fix things instead of going to war with each other? Dwayne, you are our more right-leaning panelist. I'll let you hit this first. Does this give you any kind of hope? Yes, it does. I, I agree with this guy a lot. Um, like we've talked in the past, the Tea Party came in with great ideas, great concepts, and they went batshit crazy. Um, true conservatives, you know, came in, they, they were there, they were supposed to have these small government, less spending ideas. They went batshit crazy because the, the, the religious right took over. So he's exactly right. Our, the, the Republican Party has become so fractured and so... I, I can't even think of a word to say what they've become. That's why I left eight years ago and became a libertarian because they have... I didn't leave the Republican Party like people always say. So I know it's cliche. They left me. They left the ideals that I always believed that they were supposed to be. And I'm glad to see, like with Reagan, he was able to have a, a glass of wine or a dinner with uh, Tip O'Neill every Friday after session. Yes. He would go and talk and, and be on both sides of the aisle, shaking hands, being friends. We need to have that. No matter where you stand, being this divisive on both sides does nothing. So, yes, this, this article does give me some hope, and I hope that the, the, the liberals who are posting this, I shouldn't say the Democrats, because far less liberals, I don't think, will ever change their, their stance. It's like far-right Republicans will. But I hope more of the moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans see this and understand that we need to do this to have a functioning government. You know, there was about 400 comments, and about 200 of them were comments like the ones I read. Like, I like this guy. I can be down. This is a Republican I can vote for and get behind. Are you surprised that it got that kind of at least of you know half of the Democrats or however you want to tag it? I hate labels. Actually, were on this guy's side and saying this is a good thing. Is that surprising to you? From from the the, the site that you write on, which I, I'm not a fan of, I'll admit that they actually are no fan of me because they blocked me. But <laughs> but uh, for for the, the listeners and, and the readers on that site. To say that, yes, that does very much shock me. Because normally when you do anything about conservative from the left, from what I see, from my side, I know we both have we do different circles. It's like F the Republicans, F conservatives, F anybody who has a C or an R or, or an L libertarian in front of their name, screw them, they're assholes, they're destroying us. But, yeah, that does surprise me. And that does, that does make me think that maybe, maybe there's hope. So, yes, I'm, I'm glad to Fair enough. that and I am shocked. Fern, are we seeing a purging of the extremists out of the Republican Party? Is this the first steps of that, or is, are, is this party just too fractured and do these Tea Party Freedom Caucus guys and, and the people that are behind Trump and all these different factions, is it just too factionalized to ever pull it all back together, or are we starting to see a purge back to GOP ideology and modernism? I think – well, I think that people are thirsty for something like this. They just don't know how to make the first step. 
you know, and again, I know I've said this on the show many times before, but I really truly feel like it comes from the top down. And I think people are sick of seeing the obstructionism and the hate and the finger pointing and just there's there's no middle ground for anybody within the political arena at the moment. So they're thirsty for someone to come out and say, hey, you know what? I've changed my ideas. I've changed how I think. And I think that this is wrong now. The sheriff is a prime example. Um, Lindsey Graham coming out is a prime example. Uh, Rand Paul coming out is a prime example. When you start setting the example of it's okay to say I changed my mind and I'm not on board with this and this extremism, that opens the door for other people to be able to express their ideas and their thoughts without being beat over the head. And people are thirsty for that. And I think that's why you got that reaction. And I'm glad to see you got it. Um, I think it's probably a better reaction than I would have expected, especially considering that site is typically a liberal site. And I don't say that in a in a negative way. It just is what it is. So to get that 50% positive reaction is extremely hopeful. And I think people thirst for that now. So hopefully this will bring the Republican Party back together cohesively and allow them to really get down to business and work with the Democrats and really start getting some things done because the whole country is suffering and everybody feels that. So yeah. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. D, I've said it a million times before. I've been saying it for years, way before this was on anybody else's radar, just to kind of pat myself on the back, that destroy, and I've coined this phrase, destroying the opposition politics does not work. After seven years of destroy the of destroy the opposition politics, they're not an adversary. You know, they're not a friendly adversary. They're an enemy to be annihilated on the other side of the political barbed wire fence. Are people finally on both sides starting to get it? Do you think? I would like to think that they are. Um, I sometimes have a hard time believing that, just because of where we live and so the types of opinions that that at least I hear, um, locally, is very, very discouraging. But um, you know, I, I try to be hopeful. Uh, some days, of course, are better than others. Uh, pretty much if anybody brings up any of Fox News talking points, then it's all out the window. But um, I think more and more the, that young people are beginning to vote and they are tired of the way it's been. They understand that this is broken and we have to fix it. And uh, you can't go back. You have to move. You have to evolve or die. And that is what we're yeah. struggling with right now, I think. So, Great point. Yeah. Um, Dwayne, the article yeah. you said is totally cool with me putting it on the ignorance equation. And just as a side note to what Dee said, people are leaving Fox News in, in droves. They believe it's because of uh, they believe it's because of Trump because Fox News, the, the his supporters don't feel like they've dealt with Trump fairly. But I think a lot of other people like you and Fern have both left the Fox News bubble because it was just too much conjecture, propaganda, not even news in my opinion. But are we moving to a point where people like Fern said they're thirsty for this? And why is it okay for me to post this article on the ignorance equation page as opposed to the rest of my articles? Because I would um, never as far as, you guys as approval. It, well, as far as Fox, well, thank you, first of all. Um, the, re- the reason we'll go to posting first. The reason, I've, oh, the reason I've, I, I asked you to separate, and, and I, I, I know I messed up the name, I, no news is a good news site. 
um, from Ingers' equation because that site that you write on is so very far left. And what I've always taken pride in with you and Ingers' equation is that we have all facets of the political spectrum on this show. And if to just start linking constantly to that left-wing site without Fern or, or, or me writing counterposts for another site, which I can't write for crap. We don't have a communist on the show. Are you saying we need a communist? <laughs> no offense, but Dee is kind of close with her socialism, so I'm just saying. I love you, Dee. You know I want that. a Scientologist. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, God. We'll, get Cruise on. we'll get Tom Cruise on. He hasn't made a movie in the last year and a half. But... Um, the ignorance equation to me has always been what Fox News claimed to be, fair and balanced. To, the, to me, ignorance equation, and, and this is what I wrote last week, people always saying, oh, it's Nick's left-wing liberal hyperbole and, and, and Dee and Fern and Dwayne or his lemmings, liberal lemmings who just follow him and whatever. If you listen to last week's show, our guest was on both sides of the spectrum. Fern and I agreed on certain things. You and I, Nick, agreed on certain things against Fern, against our guests. Our guests agreed with me. We had every political spectrum covered, and that's why I like think Igor's equation is pure to me. It gives all sides fair and equally. So like Badger of Bleach Map pure? Because that's pretty yes, pure. Yes, it's purer than that even. So so that's why huh. I ask you at the time not to to keep posting that page on Ignorance Equation, but post Ignorance Equation on that page to get more listeners, of course, and more followers. That's one thing. Um, what was the second part of the question? No, I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay for me. You you gave me the go-ahead to post this article on there, and this is a very uniting article, right? And this is something right. everyone it, should read. Yes, and that's why I like Go that article, because it's... Well. The, the article showed that yes, you can, you are both. You not you, you can, but you are both. You look at both sides, and I know that site doesn't always allow you to do that. But that's why I said, hell, post it on Ignorance Equation because it is there. It points out the problems in the Republican Party without attacking and putting down the Republican Party, the true Republican Party, the original Republican Party, not the nut jobs that have taken over. So that's why I, I, you know, the article I think is. Spot on. It, there are many problems in it. Um, I, I just, I, I really enjoyed that article. And like I said, if I was allowed to go on that page and like it, I would have. But like I said, I'm banned from it for something I'd said before on Facebook. So, but uh, that's, that's water under the bridge. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it is because you bring it up incessantly every time we talk about that page. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure, sure you're over it. Feelings. Yes, I'm definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you hard feelings. Hold a grudge. Pasha. Um, D. Tell us what's baby. going on with our next story here with Talia Jane and Yelp and and I've got some um I've got some nice little comments of people left here and I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around it. But give us the lowdown because you did a lot of research on this for us. I did. Um basically for anybody who hasn't heard, Talia Jane was a Yelp slash Eat Twenty Four employee and um she wrote an open letter to her CEO that basically stated, look, I work here, I work full-time, I am broke. I cannot afford to live. I spend most of my money on just where I live. Um, even though I'm like a half an hour from work, um, I'm ha- you know, it, it sucks. Pay us a living wage. We need it. Housing is too expensive here. Um, she was subsequently fired. Um, like within just a day or two of posting this, 
And it, it wasn't was like on day. Facebook. It was on yeah, it, it wasn't even like on Facebook. It was on Medium, which I hadn't really heard about. Um, and so there are those who go back and forth as to, oh, she's spoiled. She's, uh, you know, this overprivileged millennial who's just whining and da-da-da-da-da. Um, but the fact of the matter is, regardless, um, it she did get... A, tweets back from the CEO himself who, you know, let everybody know, look, she didn't get fired because of this letter. I had nothing to do with it. Um, it that's HR, not me. And that she does bring, regardless of, of the details of it, whether she spent $50 on a bottle of bourbon, which she should have put in her gas tank or whatever, um, it's more of that she did bring light to an issue that is a real problem especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that is that housing is so incredibly expensive that those who make minimum wage cannot afford it. They cannot afford to live. Well, she's making um, 12 bucks be... an hour, as Dwayne just pointed out, and she said she was bringing right. home um, 7.30 every two weeks, which I did the math. That checks out. So she's bringing home 14.50 a month, and, and her rent is 1200 is her, yeah. That's not with heat and and water and trash and her car insurance and, you know, all these things that everybody else pays for. I mean, it's basically bringing to light the fact that, look, there are people who have gone to college, as she has, who are doing their very best to get a good-paying job and think they found a good-paying job and still can't afford just to do it. Well, um, the way jumping at the bit here, but let me go to Fern first because yeah, yeah. one of the things one of my um, friends got into a conversation about this online, and one of the one of the things that was posted on here, you know, she's like, "Well, who are you to judge?" It sounds like you're judging her, and the person wrote back, "Yes, I'm judging her. It would be one thing if she said she was working multiple jobs, but clearly she's not. She's doing nothing to try to better herself besides bitching and crying poor. Get two or get three jobs." And Fern, let me throw it over here to you first. When did and you know, and she also called her spoiled. And I think the um, other person made a good point. Like, okay, well, if she was spoiled, then she wouldn't be starving to death. Like, this, obviously, she's not spoiled. But let mm-hmm. me ask you this: When did you? When did we start labeling single people who don't even have a family to raise? You know, people starting out in life, and she's twenty-five. So I consider anyone under. Late 20s, 28, 29, still starting out in life. They're just coming out of college. When did we say, oh, you don't have three jobs? Fuck you, you lazy moocher. When did that happen in this country? Because I'm seeing more and more of that. Well, and, and my feeling is this. You know, we've become more and more of a two-income society. And, I mean, most families, most people who are a little older rely on two incomes to, to make ends meet to make ends meet with their kids and their house and everything. And that's just a a situational norm. It never used to be like that. But now a lot of families are dependent on two incomes just to make ends meet. And when you look at somebody when you're in that position who has one job and they think, well, well, I've got two incomes coming in or I work two jobs and my wife works part-time or whatever, it becomes a lazy factor. But there's no need, there's no way that somebody coming out of college who is single – who is young, 
who has a full-time job shouldn't be able to support themselves. I think this speaks more to how horrible our economy is right now and our financial situation in this government versus whether she's lazy or not. That's, that's first. And furthermore, I don't understand why somebody would want to just degrade this girl. She's obviously going through a rough time. She is working. She's not sitting on her ass doing nothing. Why are you going to make this situation worse? What purpose does that serve to make her feel worse? Words have weight. And this is doing nothing but stressing her out more and putting more weight on somebody who is obviously in a bad situation. So I would encourage people before you get online and decide to run your mouth and say something that you wouldn't say to somebody's face, that you stop and think about it and put yourself in her shoes and what it must be like before you go off because she just doesn't need this. Okay, let me pass this over to Dwayne, and let me do the setup here. So it seems like if you're young, you're out of college, you're drowning in college debt. Yes, 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 she made the choice to go to college where she could have, I don't know, sat in a room and made throw pillows for a living on Etsy or whatever the argument is. It seems like when you're young, you want to strike out on your own. You're 25 and not living at your parents' house. You want to do your own thing. She lives 30 miles from um, her job because it's the only place she could physically afford that was still on a train line, and that's still $1,200 a month for that place. And, yes, yes, she could go move to Alabama and live in a shack. We understand that, but that's not – and nobody aspires to go move to Alabama and live in a shack and and work at, like, Haagen-Dazs forever. My question is, it seems like you have two narratives here. Either, A, you're desperate for a job. You're poor, you're starving, and you go on public assistance, and then everybody says, screw you, you lazy piece of crap, going on public assistance, you're taking um, tax money from me, you're making my life worse. Or B, you take a job making 12 bucks an hour, which in San Francisco is basically minimum wage, and you can't make a living, and if you don't have two or three jobs, people are still saying, screw you, you're just working a shitty job at Yelp. Um, you know, what kind of human being are you, blah, 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 and you still get a rash of shit for it. So, Dwayne, is everybody supposed to come out of college and become architect? And then you get told <laughs> you come out of college, become an architect or an accountant and make 50000 a year on one hand, and then they get told, well, Obama took all the jobs, so there's no jobs on the other hand. Uh, it sounds uh, like young people are being painted into a corner where they suck no matter what. They do. They, they do. I, first of all, I'm curious what her major is, because if it's like, you know, feminine, feminine English. art. Or, 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 she majored okay. in English. She was thinking okay. about becoming a teacher, but couldn't afford to uh, keep going to college. She didn't want to have a huge debt. Okay. That, uh, what you choose as a major, too, has a major impact on what kind of job you're going to get. We have a liberal arts college here, and we have people who take ancient European uh, paintings. It is a major. I'm just making. I don't know if that, but they take shit like that, and they come out and expect to make two hundred thousand dollars a year. There's only X amount of museums or archaeological places that will hire you. So depending on that, that's one thing. But here's the deal: I got divorced in 1994 from my first wife. I got married when I was 18. I worked. She worked. Now this is under Clinton when I when I got divorced, and I worked three jobs to continue to pay my bike payment, my car payment, my insurance, my all my other bills that I had, my credit cards. I worked three jobs. We had no kids. It was a no-fault divorce. We took, you know, we amicably separated, whatever. But I went on and I took on three jobs to make up for 
what I lost when my wife and I got divorced. Later on in the early 2000s when Barb just had our son, I worked two jobs. I worked eight hours a day at a pet store making $8.50 an hour because I was the head fish guy. Back in early 2000s, that was a lot of money for that because I knew a lot about fish. It took me an hour and a half in traffic each way to drive from the south side of Pittsburgh to the north side, actually south side of the, the South Hills, actually. So I'd be, I'd be spending almost 12 hours, 11 hours either in the car and working, come home, eat dinner, get an hour and a half sleep, then go out and DJ, karaoke DJ, for five to six hours a night, come home, get an hour and a half sleep, go back to work at the pet store from 8 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon because Barb couldn't work right at that time, right after she had Hunter. And I did that. I did that in the, in the early And that's 90s. a real sad story. But what does that have to do with this girl's predicament? It has to do she has no kids. She has no family. She's single. She's young and she's healthy. Working at Yelp, I'm betting, all she was doing was sitting behind a desk for eight hours a day, typing, doing whatever, low labor, low, low. And when did that know, become shameful? If you, if in the 50s, shameful, you, worked behind, you worked behind a desk as an ad man or at a bank or any job where it's not out in the cold line, people weren't like, screw you, you're not working hard enough. Well, you're not here's working the deal. Jobs. It's not her employer's fault that the housing market is so screwed up. Even here in shithole Missouri. It's their fault they will pay a living wage, and the people at the top are making billions upon. Look, there's no reason. It, it doesn't matter. It's not their responsibility. If you cannot afford, you go out and you get a second job. My dad worked at the steel mill in, in, in back in the day. He worked 12-hour shifts, and then on the weekends, he would build houses and do roofs for extra money, even though he's making good money at the steel mill. People today think they can live. That's like the problem. They think they can live on one income. The economy does suck. You have to work at least a part-time job with a full-time job to make it. it and, and, the, and yes, I do agree that rent is ridiculous. For what people are charging for rent is unreal. We have a very small three-bedroom house here in Missouri. And it's $550 a month. This is about the cheapest house we could have found in this area. It, it, rent is outrageous. We, if we had to put we could buy a Let me interject here because we, let, let's follow this logic thread. Where's the bottom to you, Dwayne? Let's say they get rid of the minimum wage, as many people want to do, and every company starts lowering their wages even more. The, the low-labor jobs start paying 2 $3 an hour. The jobs like the one at Yelp start paying 8 bucks an hour. But prices stay the same because now instead of um, CEOs making 500 times their employees, now they're making 1,000 times their employees to the point where everybody basically becomes indentured servants. Now you can always make the argument, well, screw you. Go move out in the woods, eat berries and die. Nobody put that gun to your head and said you have to work this job for $2 an hour. But if it's the only job in town because all the corporations are coming together and saying we're going to drive down wages because we can, is there any point where you would be outraged? Or would you be like, this is my life now. I live in a shack. I work 90 hours a week for $2 an hour, and I eat soup every night, and 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 I'm going to die at 50 from working myself to death. And that's acceptable. I mean, I'm we shouldn't sit out the minimum wage. I'm not saying get rid of the minimum wage. But what I'm saying is, if you cannot afford a certain lifestyle or whatnot because jobs do pay so little, because we have no manufacturing jobs, 
I'm sorry, whether she was answering the phone or data entry, sitting at Yelp, doing whatever she does, or editing, whatever it may be, the, okay, that job... But you can't dismissive about her position as if, if she was working in a coal mine, you'd be like, well, she's working in a coal mine, so she does deserve no, to make no, more money. No, what I'm saying is that job position is not worth more than $12 an hour. I'm sorry. If, to sit at a computer and type and doing that, I mean, why should she be paid $20, $30 an hour simply because somebody thinks she should be paid that? So if there's a job similar to hers that pays 16 or 17 an hour, then your mind is, fuck those people. How dare them pay their employees that? No, no. I, I posted that video the other day that, that boss. Of that boss from New York who gave his worker, where he did undercover boss, he gave her a $250,000 check to get her out of the homeless shelter and gave her a $14,000 rate. That, that, my heart stopped when I saw that guy. I mean, I literally, the badger, my heart fluttered when I saw the, the generosity of that guy. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Just like, but, but, to, to That's say, TV because show. this CEO... Because we got Mike Bushman on the line. Fern, I know you've got to disagree with the Wayne saying, as I disagree. You can't just keep driving down wages and basically turning us into a feudal society. I mean, there people, there, nobody should come out of college, bust their ass in college, come out of college, and 80%, 90% of their check goes to rent. The rest of it goes to the train to get to work, and they have to eat rice seven days a week. That's a rent problem, not a pain problem. That is the housing rent being too goddamn high. Like that guy. Yeah, you know what, Dwayne? You're partially right, though. It's the cost of living as a whole that has become completely inflated compared to the wages. And And here's the problem. The the thing is, is when my dad went to school and when my dad graduated high school, you know, it wasn't a everybody goes to college situation. It was if you got to go to college, you were lucky and you were going to do very well. But most people came out of school, they got a high school degree, they went out, they worked a full-time job, and they were able to support an entire family on one income. That's because the wages and the cost of living were equal. Now the corporations have gotten so greedy, they've incrementally increased prices on products while keeping wages low and getting the cost of living up. So this is where the problem is. This is why I say it's a problem with our economy when somebody who is single and young cannot feed themselves on a full-time job. Now, whether that's labor-intensive or not, it doesn't matter. She's working her 40 just like somebody who's out in construction's working their 40 or a roofer's working their 40 or an electrician's working their 40. She's still working her 40. She chooses not to do manual labor. That, that should have no effect on whether she can feed herself. Somebody should be able to feed themselves on a full-time job, and it's because our economy is is screwed. It's not a balance. It's not the CEO's fault. Yes, it is. It's absolutely the CEO's fault. Yes, it is. He he went to college, probably got a business degree, not an English degree, worked his ass off to earn that position. Why should he What happens when you work your ass off and you can't get anywhere? Once again, you can't say jobs and unemployment is secretly a 40% like Trump says and then go there's millions of jobs why don't you pick one of these sweet jobs hanging off the job tree I mean it can't be both it's got to be one or the other you used to be able to come and support a family with one income now sometimes you need our dollar is worth nothing Nick and that again goes to to printing money nonstop CEO money nonstop Three, four, five hundred times what their employees are making, 
where 20 years ago they were making 20 or 30 times. And they weren't starving. Mm -hmm. The CEO of Walmart wasn't starving. Well, there was no Walmart 30 years ago. But the CEO of a grocery store chain wasn't starving to death when he was only making 30 times uh, what the cashiers were making. Now they're making four, five hundred times, and they're still like, no, we need to deregulate. No, we we need to make more. We need to get rid of child labor laws. We need to get rid of uh, minimum wage so we can stay competitive. We need to turn America into sweatshops so we can stay competitive. No, and Do you see, I don't your agree with that. A sweatshop I, ten years? I, no, I don't agree with that. I don't, and I don't agree with getting rid of minimum wages. I don't disagree with, okay. with minimum with 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 in, uh, increases, minimum increases over time to go, you know, whatever. But if you're young and you're working, again, a non-labor-intensive job where you're not so worn out that you can't even move, mm-hmm. you should be able to work a second job if you have to. Or if, that's, if it's that bad and that expensive in the area, she can move out of the city and find lower rent. I'm sorry, but she if you want to live that... City. 30 miles out I, of the city. Okay, guys, we're going around in circles. We're going around in circles. I want to be able to give out the phone number so that anybody who'd like to chime in is able to do that. Our number here is 646-478-3554. And if it takes me just a moment to answer you, uh, remember, I I fractured my hands. Be patient with me. (laughs) She's fractured the nose. So to Wayne's point, she can move. She can choose to move and live in the woods in a tent and eat berries. She I has did not that. see you. I said she can move to a lower income neighborhood. That's like the one. That's a she is. Tequila. Hold on. What she doesn't want to live in. Hold on. Tequila, tequila put up a joke on me because she cannot afford the $4,000 a month rent for her and her child. Instead of her moving somewhere that's like even $1,000 because she's in California, she decided to put up a GoFundMe because she can't afford her $4,000 a month rent. These are the kind of people driving me insane. Wayne, well, you're missing the bigger picture. You're really missing the big picture. It, can she go get a second job? Yes. Could she do that? Absolutely. The point is is that we are in such a position and things are so skewed at this point that that is a necessity for survival. That should not right, be a necessity for survival. That's the big point. point. It's more of the dollar being worthless and us printing money like it's nothing no. as opposed no. to the greed of the companies. That's my no. point. That's what I was trying to get at. All right. Let me have my say because I don't want to leave Mike on the um, line any longer. It's going to be real quick today. Dee, do we have any more business before I go to my say? Brown. All right. Today's monologue is going to be short and sweet, mainly because it's impossible for a guy like me to rant for more than three or four minutes straight without inevitably rattling off some key phrase that would set off the Google alerts of a thousand eavesdropping NSA agents. Hey guys, how you doing? Since the inception of our country, there has been a constant push and pull between national security and individual privacy. The government demands more and more intrusion into our everyday lives to keep us safe, and we the people push back to ensure our inalienable rights and inalienable rights as human beings, to keep the fact that we enjoy spending our Friday nights watching transsexual midget porn while wiping Cheeto dust on our genitals, Dwayne, away from the prying eyes of Big Brother. Now, while we scream about the virtues of freedom on social media and carry on about how much we covet our privacy, the irony is not lost that if you click uh, the About button on most people's Facebook page, it usually has their phone number, current town, place of birth, age, where they work, and a picture of their embarrassing third nipple to boot. So, privacy much? I think not. 
So while online conspiracy nuts say the CIA is watching them play Call of Duty through the motion sensor on their Xbox One, they are also Snapchatting a picture of their junk to some random girl they just met in a Mary Cheaters chat room. The truth is we all say we value privacy above all else. That is until things get a little scary. Then all bets are off. Have a few years of stability and the massive screams stay out of our business. But let ISIS make, make a YouTube video of a beheading, and those same people say, where can I send my social security and credit card numbers to remain safe? America, you're a crazy son of a bitch, and I love you. Not also do we have the freedom to expect a certain amount of privacy in our personal lives. We also have the freedom to completely be irrational hypocrites when it comes to our privacy as well. And that is my very short say of the day. And let me get the other guys back in here. Dwayne, Fern, are you back with me? Hello. Real quick, quick. why when you refer to genitals, you tag me? Why is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's very specific to cheese balls, Dwayne. Now I'm afraid. (laughs) I've got people out there in the ozone. I know what you do, Dwayne. You know I have my connections. So that was... You would need more than Grecian formula if you knew what I did in my pri- the privacy of my own home. Trust me, you would. Oh my God! You, would, <laughs> you don't want to know. Fair enough. All right, let me introduce one of our favorite people. He's been on the show more than anyone else as a guest. He's our honorary um, panel member at this point. Mike Bushman, author of 2040, 2041, and Doing Unto Others, The Golden Rule, Mike Bushman, also known as Mr. Hell No, as in his last blog post I enjoyed <laughs> very much. Mr. Hell No, Mike Bushman, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, good to be with you all. Let's not forget the man who has helped curtail me with my swearing on my Facebook post. Let's not forget that. Yes, that's pretty. That is a massive achievement. <laughs> that's yeah, a very massive is. achievement, Mike. Yes. You made me a better badger. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> We're having a bonding moment here. Mike, I okay. love I have, to, I have to compete now with Fern because uh, it's very clear that Dwayne has uh, developed a strong affinity for Fern that I... I feel like I'm losing you. Yeah. <laughs> Are we in a tug of war for Dwayne now, Mike? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I will not tug that hard. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. He might that. like that. <laughs> I, I'm not going to even touch that comment. I'm going to keep this up. Yeah, we could say tug harder, hard, and Dwayne in the same sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm bleaching my eyeballs and my brain as we speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, piece, your latest blog post I really enjoyed it Um, and and I know we're going to talk about Apple here in a moment but I do want to touch on this Uh, this election cycle are we just screwed any which way we cut it I'm I'm certainly afraid of that Um, you know I looked at the issues that really I think are the most fundamental reforms we, we need you know, we need a political system reform. Uh, Bernie Sanders is great on that. We need to limit the size and intrusion of government so we can get our economy growing again so people can actually get well-paying jobs and, uh, and, and afford to support their families. Bernie Sanders would be terrible. Ted Cruz would be great on that. We also need to start treating other people and have our government have rules where we treat each other as we would want to be treated in that circumstance, a golden rule-based government. 
and uh, and it's a mixed bag. You know, I think Sanders would would lean decently on that, and uh, and clearly Trump would be, in my view, a failure on that. So, as I kind of rated the top issues, I looked at it and I found Trump and Clinton, Clinton are my bottom two people. They're the people that I most would be dissatisfied with. Yet I am afraid that by March 15th, when Illinois votes. Those are really going to be the only two people left in the race, and I'm going to be choosing among my worst possible candidates. I posted the other day, if that's the choice, it's like Godzilla versus Mothra. No matter who wins, we all lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, Godzilla I, I, was good, though. Godzilla was a good guy, though. As he was stepping on Japanese people. And hey, everyone you got to make some sacrifices to save Got to break a few it, eggs, huh, Dwayne? Exactly. So let me ask you this, Mike, because I wrote a piece... Um, the other day that I was particularly proud of, and a sheriff came yep. out in um, Louisiana and said, look, we have to stop with the division and the obstruction, and we have to bring Absolutely. the party together again. And people cheered, and I had even liberals on the page I post for saying, yes, this is the kind of Republican we need to get behind. Why is Kasich not picking up any traction? Because I believe he's somebody who speaks about reuniting the party and reuniting our country. Why are people not paying attention to him? Well, I think that that gets to the problem with the uh, part primary systems are really skewed to be dominated by the extremes of both parties. Uh, so the extreme conservatives have are, are more than half of the voting block in the Republican primary. And uh, the moderates and liberals who are kind of fit with uh, where uh, Kasich would be uh, politically among Republicans would are are only maybe ten to fifteen percent of the primary voters. Now, there's a lot of independents who would support Kasich. There are a lot of moderate Republicans. There are even some Democrats who I think would support him, but they're not the ones making the decision in the Republican primary. Uh, and I think it it really gets back to our primary system needs to be opened up so that it is not dominated by the extremes and and we get a chance to have somebody who might be a more centrist candidate. As, an, as a possible option when we come to November. All right, last question, and i got to move on, just because I love picking your brain about this stuff. You and um, Jeffrey are the smartest guys, I think, or at least the most informed guys who call in on this stuff. Uh, when it comes to a situation like with Kasich, and you are seeing more and more people speak out with um, Lindsey Graham and Rand Paul and the sheriff, and they're saying we've got to get rid of these extremists. All this obstruction and division has not worked for us. Do you feel like the Republican Party is starting to purge? I asked Fern this earlier, but I'll ask you. Do you feel like the Republican Party is starting to try to purge out their extremist wing, or is the party just too fractured for that to ever happen now? I, I don't think either party is trying to purge out their extremist wing. I mean, you've got the same thing on the Democratic side. Almost half of Democrats identify themselves as socialist or communist. Uh, you've got the exact opposite in the Republican side. So the extremists have control of the party structures, and I don't see them relenting. And I'm not sure until we get a fundamental political system reform that we're going to fix this, uh, certainly not in the near term. Yeah, but to be fair, Sanders is polling around 40% to Clinton, 60%. And Kasich, who is the more moderate, is polling about 5% to Trump and Cruz's 35, you know, 35, 40% and 25, 30% respectively. So there is a lot of imbalance when you're talking about the extremists. 
There's a far more yeah, extreme maybe, than the one on the right. Maybe, except, except that Hillary Clinton's positions now are pretty much Bernie Sanders' positions. So they're both at that extreme politically. There really is not what typically would have been a centrist Democratic candidate. Jim Webb was, was that guy, and yeah. he never got over 1% in the democratic right. polls. So, you know, that whole blue dog Democrat that used, you know, when I worked in Congress 25 years ago was a good it's 40 gone. to 50% of the party. They're completely and entirely gone. And most of it's because they've been chased out by the progressive wing of the democratic party. They don't want to be associated with them. All yep. right. Fair enough. Let's move on to Apple and privacy. So can I just ask Mike one question, Nick, just real yeah, quick, please? Absolutely. Mike, what do you think of the odds of Hillary getting six coin tosses in her favor? Do you think that was bullshit, or do you think that was absolute? She won six. I tried. I did a hundred coin tosses here, no, and I didn't get nothing close to it. Do you think that was absolute true, or do you think that was BS? Uh, you know, I don't think we're ever going to know it. it, it because it's physically possible, you can't rule out that it could have happened. Uh, certainly, the odds are not uh, are not in favor of that uh, that strong of a win streak. Um, but I, you know, I don't think we're ever going to know because the people who were involved in doing the coin flips uh, are obviously invested in uh, the outcome that they announced being the one that people believe. She also pulled high card at the Nevada caucus, and, I mean, she should go to Vegas and make some money since she's always complaining about how poor her and Bill is. She needs exactly. to just take that show on the road. Exactly. Yeah, she, she, is, she has had a string she's of She's Lady Luck. For sure. She yep. is Lady Luck. All right, let's move on to Apple. So Saeed Farouk, who is the San Bernardino terrorist, along with his wife, whose name escapes me right now, but Saeed had an iPhone. Um, I believe Mrs. it was an Farouk. iPhone 7. Mrs. Thank Farouk. you. Mrs. Farouk. Fair enough. She had a different name, though. Um, so anyways, they've got this phone. The FBI recovered this phone. It's in FBI position, um, possession. They want to get into the phone. The phone is encrypted. They need a backdoor. They're saying, we need a backdoor for this particular phone. However, Apple just can't backdoor the phone without creating coding to backdoor that phone. The FBI can't try to backdoor the phone because if they try too many times, it'll just self-destruct. It'll wipe out all the memory on the phone, and it'll be useless. So they said, Apple, the onus is on you to spend the time, the money, and the resources to create backdoor coding and give it to us so we can backdoor this phone. We want to be able to jailbreak the phone, get into it. Apple's saying, one, that is going to put an expense on us we're going to have to take time, resources, energy out to create the coding. Two, it's going to make people who have iPhones specifically because they don't want the prying eyes of big government looking through their phones, um, they're going to leave and go to a company that can offer that. And more importantly, you cannot just you cannot promise you will only use this backdoor for this one phone because you can reverse engineer it and then you can crack any Apple phone. The government on their yep. side is saying we're only going to use it for this one phone. Apple's saying that even if they wanted to do it, they don't have the capability to even break their own phones. They purposely make their phones to not even be broke by them. That's the selling feature of it. Um, Very Fern, true. Am I, Fern, Mike, anybody, is there anything you want to add? Am I missing anything in this setup? They gave them uh, engineers, the only, too. Uh, the only thing that I can say is, 
as far as jailbreaking, yes, Nick, you are right. Um, I jailbreak. Uh, I mean, I know somebody who jailbreaks their iPhones. I put put that way in their iPad. And when you do, it does wipe the phone completely, and it, it and even to do it and then to come back to normal, you have to do a factory reset, which wipes everything out. The only thing it may keep sometimes are the phone numbers. So I mean, even hackers who work on this daily to make iPhones more accessible for outside applications and things that Apple doesn't approve of, it is very destructive to the actual operating system. So they, they are correct on that. So that's all I want to add on that. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, Dwayne, because Bill Gates came out, which I thought was um, – which I thought this was an odd thing, that Bill Gates came out on the side of the government. General Hayden, who was also the head of the NSA, came out on the side of Apple – and I've got some more people I'm going to pull here in a second. Um, but let me ask you, when it comes to valuing security over privacy, can this be painted as a left-right issue anymore? Is it strictly conservatives who want their who value their privacy over security? Is it strictly um, liberals who value it? This, this is not a right-left issue, right? No, it's yeah. not. It, it has come down to the point where it is, fear-mongering, and whether you're left or right, it depends on how afraid you are of the boogeyman. I've seen people on the left who are terrified of the boogeyman, whether, whether it be Ebola or whether it be ISIS. I've seen people on the right be afraid of the boogeyman. And, you know, my favorite quote from Ben Franklin is, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. If you want 100% safety, commit a felony, probably a murder, that way, or a violent murder, you'll be put in solitary confinement, and you will be safe 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No, you won't. Cell. You could still get raped. Not, in your, not if you're in solitary. Not if you're in you solitary. could pay you're off the guards to let, <laughs> leave you alone in the shower. I don't want to go into the whole dynamics of it, but trust me, you're never 100% safe anywhere it unless you go move to a It scares me that style. you know this. It scares me that you know this, but, um, but the thing is, I mean... It's not a left or right issue anymore, but as far as Bill Gates, this man, he, he's a nut job. I'm sorry. He, he has made Windows 10 now that pretty much spies on everything you do. He's giving it away for free. First time Windows is giving it away for free because it is so full of backdoors, spyware, malware, advertising, that it pretty much tracks everything you do, even when you're not logged in. That is how bad Windows 10 is and what Gates has built into it. So he is a big proponent of let's track and follow and a big government type of guy. So what he says I find is atrocious. So I mean it, it, I, I, Bill Gates to me is a non-entity even though he's one of the richest men in the world. I despise the man. I despise his operating system. That's why I have switched back to Apple in the last few years and it, it, just, it just boggles my mind that people want this. Here's Listen to what I'm saying. I don't care. I'm not doing anything wrong. But who cares? It's You need to have your privacy. Well, let me read this list, and this might surprise you. So on the side of Apple, saying Apple should not be forced to have their engineers create coding for the FBI, you've got Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg of course, from Facebook. Um, you've got Mark Cuban, who everybody knows who Mark Cuban is. You've got the founder yeah. of Twitter... Space, Jack Dorsey, and I thank Fern for pulling this info for me. Um, you've sure. got the CEO of Google, Sunder Punchett. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Of course, Snowden, the CEO of Ford. 
Now listen who is for the FBI. Listen who wants Apple to submit to the request of the FBI. Um, NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton of New York City, oh, of the Police Commissioner, and every GOP candidate currently. <laughs> and I know that doesn't um, include people who've left the race <sighs> like Rand Paul, but every current GOP candidate. So when I hear people go, you liberals, you want to give up all our privacy, uh, can you really say that when they're being backed by the liberal or being, where the FBI is being backed by the NYPD um, conservative police commissioner and every GOP candidate? Can we really make that statement anymore? Oh, no, not at all. Like I said, it's both sides. It's both sides. Right. To me, this is, an, this is an issue of libertarians versus authoritarians. Uh, yes. Bill Gates mm-hmm. is an authoritarian. He believes that there is a group of people who are smarter than everybody who should control the world. You know, that yes. that was the philosophy behind Common Core. And, in fact, I just saw a quote from his wife saying, we we know what kids need to learn. They all need to learn these same things. So why anybody who's opposed to this doesn't think that their kids should learn what we think they should learn. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous, but very authoritarian as opposed to a libertarian philosophy, which is that we all have a value in this world, that we're all important contributors, but that doesn't mean we all need to be identical. So we, we need to enable each other to uh, to be able to live our own lives and we contribute in our own way. So to me, this breaks down as a libertarian versus authoritarian issue, not a Democrat versus Republican one. Thank you. Again, that is Mike beautifully said what framed. I was thinking, but more concisely. Thank you, Mike. Yes, <laughs> you beautifully framed that. So let me ask you, Mike, are you surprised? I saw him on Bill Maher the other night, retired Air Force general and former director of the NSA, is actually on the side of Apple. Is that a little bit surprising to you that the former head of the NSA is like, no, Apple shouldn't do this? Does he know something we don't? Uh, well, I think what he knows is that if Apple is able to devise the backdoor in, that that will open up any of the communications of anybody using Apple devices to other agencies. The NSA, of course, would be able to get in, but and to so would uh, foreign competitors. And Not terrorists. just so, other agencies, to terrorist cells as well. This makes us less safe by Apple doing this, right, Mike? Uh, I, I think I think it has that potential. You know, for me, this is an issue. What troubles me most about the issue is Apple being conscripted without compensation to do work on behalf of the government. If the government truly believes that a code should be developed, they should put out for bid uh, a project to have somebody break this code and compensate whoever it is that's doing the code breaking. Uh, I don't think Apple should be under any requirement to do it, but if government really believes that this is a national security issue, that needs to be an open let project that uh, anybody who thinks they have the capabilities bids on. And if Apple truly is the only place that has the capabilities to do this, which I don't believe, um, you know, then... uh, then they're going to be the ones who are, they're going to bid on it if they feel that it's valuable to them to bid on. Uh, but to, to but me, isn't that's, that almost piracy, the government putting out a contract to actually go in and hack somebody's uh, intellectual property? Isn't that almost a piracy? Isn't that just as bad as going on a torn site and downloading a movie you know, if you're stealing I, somebody's I information? Once you, what, 
I would say that if it wasn't somebody who was already uh, clearly involved in criminal activity. So mm-hmm. you obviously you'd need to have court orders and something, some kind of in the due process, uh, so that it's not just something that's opened up to somebody in NSA like they were doing, checking in on their girlfriend's computers. Um, you, you know, we certainly don't want that kind of unscrupulous activity continuing that Snowden helped to expose. But to have um, to have a clear criminal in this case, who I don't think there's anybody who doubts that these were the people involved in the San Bernardino uh, shootings, um, I don't think that then becomes a piracy issue if if the government or somebody else is able to break in to Apple's uh, system to be able to get that information. I do worry that once it's... I do worry that once it's done, if somebody figures out how to do it, then that code's gonna—it's obviously gonna make its way around the world. I but agree. It, let me let me go over here real quick to Fern because this proves this is not a right-left issue. Fern is more right-leaning than left-leaning. Um, Dwayne is very to the right, or let's say slightly to the right. I'm slightly to the left, but me and Dwayne actually agree. We're not going to put our privacy on the line for security, but you have said many times, Fern, exactly what Dwayne said he doesn't understand. Hey, I'm not doing anything wrong. If you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. I don't care if the government listens in on my phone calls so I can be safe. So go ahead and try to quantify that for us because I know me and Dwayne are not on board that, and I would have to believe Mike's probably not on board with that either. Not to feel like you're, we're gaining up on you. I just want to understand no. and prove no, this is not a right-left issue. No, that's fine because I can't explain my position. And, you know, I am all for liberties, and I am all for our security, and I am all for, you know, upholding the Fourth Amendment. And I, I look at this day and age as a time where I morally and emotionally disagree 100% with having our privacy invaded by the government listening in on our phone calls. However, I think unfortunately our society and this technological war has come to the point to where there has to be a little bit of sacrifice of that liberty to ensure that we can protect lives. And I'm not talking about if somebody smokes a joint or, you know, went out and had a beer and they're underage. I mean, these are all things that, which I do not advocate, by the way, I'm going to state that publicly. Um, You know, these are all things that are are minor things. And for the government to use that information against you is completely horrible. And I don't agree with that. However, when you talk about listening into a phone call for terrorist plans and activities and things like that, and using that to save lives, that is a whole different ball game. The problem I have now is with Apple, and I'm really glad Apple is doing this, the NSA has already overstepped its bounds. I mean, you look at their X-Key score program, which the NSA uses to search almost everything a user does on the Internet. There have been phone companies who have voluntarily given information on people. Um, The the data collection that they currently have, the PRISM program, um, all of this stuff they they collect thousands and thousands of text messages a day. They're already doing this. So for Apple to say, you know what, you're not going to backdoor us. We are going to stand our ground, and if you try to backdoor it, it's going to wipe the phone, I think is good. It kind of keeps them in check, and I am all for that. Um, I, I just have a problem with saying absolutely zero monitoring when 
you know, these terrorists are smart. They know how to utilize technology. They know how to utilize the dark web. They know how to utilize the Xbox and gain people. And we have to save lives. This is about saving lives at this point, not somebody hearing what I ate for breakfast. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to hide. When they start using that information against you personally for minor infractions or whatever, I have a big problem with that. But to monitor terrorist cells and activity and plans, you know, as long as it's used correctly, I'm okay with it. The problem well, is I don't is think correctly? you're going to use it correctly. What is correctly? I mean, in other words, what if I don't want any – what if I want to have something that's private? What if I want my sex life to be private? And I'm talking to D over the phone like, hey, here's what's going on tonight, and I don't want the government. I don't want some third party listening in because that's private. I mean, Dwayne, I know you agree with this, right? Uh, of course. I mean, in turn, you, you do realize these programs are just like YouTube and Facebook, how they use algorithms. You're, mm-hmm. you're probably already on a list just for talking to me. Because every time, if you mention pressure cooker terrorists, Osama bin Laden, 9-11, Snowden, or whatever, the computer picks it up and already starts monitoring everything we say. And there is no human there until there's enough information for a human to actually listen. So now... You're already on a certain list, a pre-pair watch list for using certain words and certain rhyme and rhythm over and over. So the conversations Nick and I have off off the show concerning what we're going to talk about, the conversations you and I have, we're already on a pre-list. How hard is it now for that for the government to say, oh, well, they keep talking about this. Let's not put them on an arbitrary terror watch list, which we don't know. We have no recourse yeah. to get off of. So that is why we cannot allow them to have this. Because well, let's follow we that line of thinking, Dwayne. Let's follow that line so of thinking great. for just a second. And this is where I'm coming from. It's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. So if they're going to do it anyway, and they have their TAO situation, which is an elite group of hackers that go in and backdoor systems that they can't access and upload viruses, okay? So they're going to do this anyway. So the better, better the devil you know than the devil you don't in that perhaps we should legislate it and figure out exactly what their limitations are legally versus just knowing in the back of your head that they're doing it anyway. So I guess that's where I come from. I, I'd rather see it legislated and have strict parameters as to what they can do versus knowing that they're just going to do it anyway, and, and it's basically game on for everything. Not yeah, they did not use cell phones and technology like they did today. 9-11 was more or less landline, and they still were able to do it, and there was no NSA, you know, I mean, they were still able to do it at that point in time, even without the technology we have today. So how is listening to my cell phone conversation going to protect us? We're good. We're much more technologically dependent than we were. Let me let me inject real quick because I want to ask Mike something. Is Dwayne being paranoid? Is is this show right now getting sent to some NSA algorithm and stored because we are talking about Apple versus the government and privacy issues? No, he's he's not being paranoid at all. And actually, under the current government authorizations, and I will tell you that uh, you know because I've done a lot of searching on various jihadist groups nuclear weapon construction, Claymore mines, a whole bunch of stuff that I've been doing for some of the books that I've been working. I know that, uh, in fact, because it showed up on my LinkedIn, that I had FBI agents searching my LinkedIn profile 
trying to find out what what I was, and I'm sure they were just investigating what's this guy researching this stuff for. So, so the Badger's not that crazy, is he? No. That, so you're that, saying that, I may level. not be able to get onto a plane this summer because of something I said on the ignorance equation. Well, Possibly. you know, there there is that possibility at some point. I mean, that's actually even happened to members of Congress for periods of time that they've been put on no-fly lists uh, un, unbeknownst to them. Uh, until they showed up at the airport. So, uh, yeah, those that kind of review is going on today. And so I don't think any this Apple discussion changes that uh, that type of uh, review, ongoing review in any way. What it really comes down to for me is should, should any company or any person be able to be conscripted by the government at no compensation to do this work that really is a government function? Uh, and, and I just don't believe that that's, uh, that should ever be allowed. So, well, yeah, we need the security. We need our we need some security overview. But uh, there there are limitations, I think, to what we can require other people to report. I certainly don't want to get to a point that some governments have gotten to where it becomes a requirement of individuals to report your neighbors uh, for anything that they say that might, you know... You know, should we all be required if Dwayne makes a uh, a statement that we consider potentially risky to have to report that to some government agency? And, well, you and saw the neighbors of the San Bernardino terrorists being um, criticized for not reporting what they saw going on in that apartment, the coming and goings and uh, the bringing in of different weapons and stuff. So you are kind of seeing that already, and that was yep. measured against the, well, we can't do it or it's going to be profiling argument on the other side. Uh, absolutely. So how do you break that stalemate then? Well, I, I, you know, and that's where that's why I think uh, that's why focus on the golden rule is such an important concept. It really has to come down to, how would you want to be treated in the various circumstances associated with that? You know, if if you really believe that there's a potential terrorist threat, if you were the potential victim of that terrorist, would you want that being reported? Yes. Now, if you just had some inkling that maybe they're just kind of weird, uh, do you get to the line where you report them? Um, and, and I think the answer is no, because you also have to think about if I'm being reported just because somebody thinks I'm a little weird, uh, that's not something I would do. Uh, I would want done to myself. So it really requires some judgment. There's a lot of gray area in it, and I and I think Definitely. that makes it very difficult to legislate. Well, okay. So let me ask you this: on the other side of the coin, and we'll pass this around the panel. The other side of that coin is: should a company be able to create a program where people can hide information, potentially? deadly information, another 911 information, and the government and even the company that built this platform has no access to said information. Should a corporation have that kind of power over the government to hide things that are a threat to national security? Mike? That's a good question. I, I think if you're if what you are doing is with the intent of helping to facilitate criminal activity, then you're complicit in that criminal activity. In the case of what Apple is doing, what they recognize is with our phone, we have our financial information on there, credit cards. Somebody who hacks into our phone can basically steal our lives in many cases. 
So, you know, you've got a huge vulnerability that you're trying to protect. I don't think Apple designed the phones the way they did uh, to enable criminal behavior. Now, if there's some organization that does that and it's really with that intent, then uh, then I I do think that we need to take action. But I, I just don't think that that has any bearing on what Apple's doing here. Well, let me start to say with a fern, but it is what it is, right? I mean, Apple has a platform where terrorists could get a hold of a phone, put information in it, and the government cannot have access to it, not even Apple, if you believe Apple, does not have direct access to it. Should a corporation have more power than the government to hide information? Well, yeah, because I, like Mike said, it's the intent. Okay, so Apple, Apple, I can only imagine, and I don't know this for facts, but logically, it stands to reason that Apple put this failsafe in there to protect people's personal information, bank accounts, Facebook accounts, whatever, pictures, all that stuff. So it was a, a protection of you know personal privacy versus hey, I can get an iPhone and I can do a bunch of crazy shit with it, and the government can't get in it. So I mean, it, it does fall within intent. And you know, in that in that regard and in that light, they absolutely should have the right to put in those fail safes. That's why people buy iPhones. You know, it's because of the usability, but also because of the protection. I mean, I have a Samsung, and my phone's not protected like that. I'm thinking about getting an iPhone now. I mean, it's it's nice. I left my phone at a restaurant last weekend, and I was without it for about 16 to 20 hours, and I was freaking out. It was like I lost an appendage. And somebody could have quite easily gone into my phone, got my personal information, and really screwed me over. They didn't, but it could have happened. So, yes, they absolutely should be able to put these fail-safes in place, even if it does mean that it could be used for a negative outcome. But I suppose anything could be. I mean, you you could say the same about cars. You could say the same about a lot of different things. So these companies do what they need to do to cater to their consumers. I don't think they're catering to terrorists, so... I think they're fine. Right. Well, in this particular case, they did. Inadvertently, as it was, they did. Um, I want to thank our amazing producer, who is always in the shadows, keeping us on track. Dee, can you please give the phone number out in case anybody wants to call in with an opinion? But of course. Our number here is 646-478-3554. And as always, if it takes me just a moment, then I'm probably on the other line. All I right. want to thank Wait. Mike Bushman. I want to thank him for confirming I am not that shit insane. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I don't think Mike <laughs> would ever confirm it's that. Possible you're... you might be you might be that insane, but just not on these topics. Thank oh, okay. You. I'll take that. I think you're I'll winning, Mike. Dwayne, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a piece of raw meat to throw to you here. I know you're going to love this. So a couple years ago when it came out that Verizon was giving out um, personal information to the government, I had a coworker. I don't even know if this person still works there, but they, they went crazy. They were going through my work, yes. saying I don't know to interact with people. This is this is a tragedy. They're trampling my rights. That's it. I'm t- today I'm getting off Verizon. I'm getting, you know, and and I was like, well. You signed something within the paperwork that says that they would be allowed to do this because that was the complaint, and they came out and showed hidden in the contract, as shady as it was, contractually, they were allowed to do this. So she flips out, goes nuts, screams all day about it, comes in. I see her about two days later. I was like, hey, did you go ahead and get off Verizon since this was so important to you? Well, no, I haven't got to it yet. 
And I was like, well, what do you mean you didn't get to it yet? This is the the worst oppression that's ever been done to anybody in the history of human civilization. What could be more important? And then she went crazy. Like, Screw you. My mother was sick. I, I care of her. My people think you're an asshole. And I wasn't trying to be an asshole. I was just like, you were marching around here almost with like a a, a fife and a drum and a bandana around your head screaming. <laughs> <laughs> flag that we were going to take down the oppressors, and then it was like, oh no! Well, the season um, finale of Smallville was on, so I couldn't, uh, you know, get off but Verizon. You said she worked. <laughs> she worked for Verizon, though, right? She worked for Verizon. So don't don't you guys get free cell phones or discounted uh, contracts when you work for Verizon? I technically don't work for Verizon. I work for a subsidiary of them, and I'm not going to get into the technicals of but my if she, job. If she did, that right there is probably her reason. She probably went out, priced other plans, and said, oh, shit, I'll deal with losing my liberty for the, the 50% discount I get. That's my that's my take on it. it well, that did come into play because I actually – that doesn't come into play. You can actually do better not going oh, through okay. that. I'm not going to go into it too much because it oh, is okay, work-related. I understand. So, but that was not the case in point. The case in point was complacency. So isn't this – aren't we responsible for the erosion of our rights to complacency? Dwayne, I know exactly. you want to say this. Of course we are. Of course we are. I mean, if you look back even 20 years ago, you know, people were going nuts. Even with the Vietnam War, people – you go back to Kent State. People would protest. People got shot, and yet they still went out and protested. And now, like we've talked last year about the people who wouldn't go protest about gun rights, wherever it was, because it was raining. I mean, we have become such they a nation of on drones. They said they would be droned and killed in the street. And then when only 100 people showed up to the American Spring, they said, well, dude, we can't storm the Bastille if we have wedhead. I mean, it's drizzling exactly. out. I got loose in my hair. Are you crazy? It's not complacency. I just think we've become a nation of wimps. I mean, we have just become so afraid of our own shadows, and this goes back to our other our other shows and topics. The media has made us afraid of everything. I remember when it first started. Dyed toilet paper causes rectal cancer, and now if you look, all toilet paper is white. You used to be able to get pinks and blues and yellows. And it all started back And your life hasn't been that. the same since you can't get pink toilet paper anymore. I know this is very disturbing. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it all, that's, that's the, the whole thing I remember is the media starting with the fear mongering. And ever since then, every week it's something new. People are just constantly terrified. And the more you make people afraid of one thing, the more they become afraid of everything. But the in their way lives. you brought up ISIS, and I happen to think that. ISIS is not going to be beheading people at the Super Bowl. And I know me and Mike have gotten into it. Mike thinks ISIS is far more a direct threat on American soil than I think. So is Dwayne right? Is it fear-mongering with ISIS and showing the YouTube beheading videos? Or is ISIS coming to a town near you soon? Well, ISIS has already already reached our shores. I mean, I, I think that's what happened in San Bernardino, so... Um, and and we've had plenty of U.S. converts to ISIS. Uh, They are planning, and in fact, the national security officials have said they are planning a large attack inside U.S. borders, and, uh, you know, our security agencies are trying to uh, prevent that from happening. So there's no question that we are a target. Uh, 
they'll pro- they're going to hit Western Europe more frequently than they hit us because it's easier to get to Western Europe. But uh, we are we are certainly a uh, terror target and always will be. I mean, Is there I think any terror targeting going but, on? But but I don't think that I don't think it's as big a threat as the media puts it. I mean, yes, I think there's going to be oh, more no. you know low rangers, but I don't think it's going to be like. There's going to be waves of um, Toyota trucks because that's pretty much all ISIS drives. Because I just watched a, a video on that, how all all ISIS drives are Toyotas. So there's going to be a wave of Toyota trucks armed with 50 calibers driving down our street. But there are going to be, you know, like the San Bernardinos. There's going to be couples. There's going to be two or three people. I think it's a threat, but I think it is. So I don't want you to get me wrong that I don't think it's no threat. I just think it's smaller Let than me what ask the media Fern. puts out. Let me ask Fern an important question here. Can any terrorist seem threatening in a Toyota Fiesta? Toyota um, Prius, you mean? I, only, no, if they're wearing clown, only if they're wearing clown makeup. I mean, you know, that's that's really would be the scariest of all terrorists in a Fiesta. Let me, let me, okay, so let me ask you this. You're more in the camp of you're willing to give up a little bit security, um, a little bit of privacy for security. Mm-hmm. Do you... Communist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, okay, I don't know how do you, like, when you have conversations with other conservative people, do you feel like that this is something everybody's kind of on board with? Or do you get a lot of bulking from people? Like, if you talk to your husband or anybody about this, is this something people are even concerned of and it's on their radar? Because I don't have a lot of conservatives. Well, you know, um, you know, my separated husband and I are both conservative him more so than me um when i when i talk to conservatives about this mostly my boyfriend um he's normally on board with a lot of what i have to say uh he tends to lean a lot more conservative than i do however um i i try to pull from both sides and i try to wrap my view around both sides and yeah i do get more balking on the conservative end saying I don't understand why you want to give up your liberties. But most people are at least receptive to what I have to say and say, you know what, yeah, I can see that. I can understand that. But I want to go back to the whole with Mike saying that, you know, they're already here and they're planning an attack. And this goes back to what I was saying about legislating what the NSA can do and what they can use it for to save lives. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to give up all of my liberties and have anybody – just be able to listen into my conversation for whatever reason. But when it comes to something like that, I, I think it's important to legislate it and get it down on paper so that there are parameters. And I'd actually be interested to hear what Mike, how, how you feel about that. Yeah, no, and in fact, I think that's one of the key points in this Apple case. In fact, some Democratic members of Congress have asked the FBI director to back off on going to the courts to force Apple to do this because – they think the issue is so important it needs to be discussed and decided in the legislative process. Right now we have unelected bureaucrats deciding that they have the ability to force a, a company to spend enormous resources designing a system that not, nobody's ever authorized them to have designed or funded to have designed uh, among the elected among our elected representatives. So. I'm I'm all for having our security agencies have the powers that Congress gives them, but Congress but they're ta- they've been taking powers that Congress hasn't given them, and I want these issues resolved with our elected representatives held responsible. 
Are they going to make mistakes yeah. in Congress? Of course. I mean, obviously, they, they make mistakes all the time. But at least we have a chance to then correct those mistakes. And it's every agency, Mike. It's the EPA, the FAA, the FCC. Every ABC agency now thinks they are Congress and they can make and pass laws, which they have no constitutional right to do so. You are exactly that, right. That is, that is absolutely true. And it is, it is one of our fundamental problems in the country. It's one of the fundamental constraints on our economy is that government agencies are, are just really creating uh, authorities that they've never been given. Uh, unelected yes. bureaucrats have taken control of a large chunk of how our country operates. Last and day we of talk about that. this daily. Nick and I talk about this daily, how I say we need to – I, he, when I say smaller government, he says, well, do you think we should get rid of this, this, this? And I think we should. We need to restructure all these ABC agencies and get take away the power that they have stolen from we. And who fills that vacuum? You get rid of the FDA. Who fills that vacuum? You restructure. They, oh, you restructure. Oh, you don't. You, don't, you do not. Yeah, it's not a matter of getting rid of the agencies. It's about, it's about getting them focused on what – it's about getting them focused on what they're – responsible for instead of creating missions over and above what happens right. in the bureaucracies is they look at the world and they try to figure out how do we expand our power and how we do we expand our scope so we can get bigger budgets and so you've got bureaucrats who are driving this all with self-serving bureaucratic purposes yes. instead of what's in the best interest of the country all right, so let me ask you this, Mike. You've got the Warhawk wing of the Republican Party, and they are constantly pushing fear, like Dwayne said, along with the media. How, I mean, and they're considered the establishment far more than the extremists are considered the establishment. How do you rein these guys in who use fear to drive people to the polls? How do you rein in a Janie Ernst who in 2012, when a reporter said, why are you saying there's all these cases of Ebola, there's only three recorded cases, and all those guys are in a hospital in Dallas, Texas? And she's like, no, there are thousands of cases of Ebola right now in America. You're going to see an explosion of it. You know, basically, the pale horse of death is coming. Just And, you know, the only way that you can be saved is a vote in Republicans that are going to quarantine everybody and shut down the airports and take all these actions that the weak liberals won't. How do you shut down the military-industrial complex and their warhawk lackeys that are pushing all this fear through the media? You don't. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great question across a whole range of issues because I, I think you you see the same thing happening from, from the left side when it comes to race relations. You know, I think Ferguson was a perfect example of, yes, there was a huge problem that needed to be corrected, but then the media and the left extrapolating that as applying to every white person in America and that they're all trying to do damage to the African-American communities. Yep. Uh, so you, you, we've had this kind of fear-mongering that's gone from both sides. I think part of it comes back to our responsibility as citizens to be skeptical and cynical. And when we hear something that doesn't make sense and to have the ability to understand things that don't make sense, uh, that we call uh, the elected officials out on it. I don't know that there's any way to stop it without just doing a better job of helping educate uh, people to be more critical in their thinking skills. We are amazingly lacking in our American education system in teaching critical thinking skills. 
Uh, it, that's one of the fundamental flaws. So, yes. you know, we're not all going to agree on issues. Uh, you know, we all have different perspectives. We have different experiences. We have different understandings, different information we've been exposed to. But if we have, if we all have critical thinking skills, we have the ability to talk with each other and work out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. If you, if we don't have critical thinking skills as a nation, fear mongers are going to continue to win the day. And, you know, I'm afraid we are seeing that happening more and more regularly. But look what happened. Eisenhower tried to warn us on his farewell speech for the presidency about the military-industrial complex. Kennedy tried, wanted to stop it, and look what happened to him. And, you know, people say, oh, no, he was shot by a crazy man. I personally think that he was killed because he wanted to eliminate the military-industrial complex. I truly think that that's the case. And it's not going to stop. I don't think it's ever going to stop as long as there's money to be made, as long as Halliburton and and uh, General Dynamics, I know they're no longer uh, Boeing and whatnot, can still make billions by selling these weapons to other countries and selling them to ourselves and weapons that don't even work, like the F-35, it's never going to stop. We're never going to stop it because we have to have a boogeyman to be able to make and sell these weapons. But we had a check against that, right, guys? We had a check called the the um, Fifth Estate or the Fourth Branch of Government, the media. Yeah. And the media used to check that balance and work for the people and say, hey, look, here's what's really going on. And then all of a sudden, the media, all media in this country, mainstream media, is now owned by four or five corporations. And this is why you see a Boeing commercial when I watch MSNBC. I'm not fucking buying anything from Boeing. Why am I seeing a commercial for this? It's because they pay to advertise, not so their word can get out there, so they can constrict what these news stations say because they're so afraid they'll pull their advertising. They have to keep perpetuating the fear-mongering that's on the table – you know, disseminated out there by the military-industrial complex. So doesn't this all just boil down to the media? Isn't that always the the baseline for everything in the media? Mike? I I don't know that it boils down to that, but it's certainly a contributing factor. I mean, my undergrad was in journalism. It's what I thought I was going to do when I got out of college 30 years ago. Uh, What I see happening in, in the media today is not journalism. It is people taking sides and finding people who agree with them to go sell to. Um, you yeah. know, I don't think Donald Trump got all the media coverage he had because people, the driver for that, for the networks, was all around ratings. You know, he provided colorful commentary. It wasn't that they didn't, and they loved the fact that he would say something that would help drive viewers. So they've given him far more coverage than any of the other candidates in the Republican side. And that's enabled him to run, you know, the, the campaign he's been able to run. He's he's just dominated the airwaves. He's dominated other forms of free media. Uh, and they're doing it because it's financially in line with them. Then you look he's at kind of the genius. new media. He is. You look at the new media, you know, the online blogs and websites and even down the uh, the cable news networks, they all are pretty much aligned with some element of, um, you know, either a conservative movement or a populist movement or a left-wing movement. They all have their niche, and the people who are reading it are only reading reading uh, and hearing news from people that they already agree with. So we're not challenging our perspectives by 
broadly searching out people we already we might disagree with. Most most viewers, most readers, most listeners are going to people that are telling them what they already think. Uh, so I think that's part of the problem is that we as people have created a situation where the it, it's economically in the media's advantage to just tell us what we already think. Fern, let me pass this around. Who wins the day in this? Just opinion-based. Do you think the government wins the day, or do you think Apple is going to win the day and not have to code? Because I think it's kind of ridiculous, like Mike said, that the onus is on them to be conscripted, which is a good word for it, to have to code for the government. I can't imagine that the government's going to win this. You know, I, I hope not. I mean, I really hope not, because I think Apple's well within their rights to stand where they are, and they are doing the right thing. I think if they were to capitulate and just do this behind closed doors and not take this stand and bring this to the front, to the public, um, that that would be devastating for our personal liberties. So I'm glad they are deciding to stand tall, and I do think that they have a shot of beating this. Um, but the government will always surprise you. I mean, they will yeah. pull out all the stops to do what they need to do to get what they want. And, you know, the, again, this goes back to the control that the NSA already has, and they just want more. You know, it's it's like eating that first M&M, and then before you know it, the half the bag's gone. They, you know, they just want the, more resources. So if they want really, really want to get it, they'll find a way to do it. Um, I, but I really I, hope that Apple stands. The way our I think slides, just one... Go ahead, Mike. I just want to add something to Fern's point there about the government finding ways. It's one of the reasons I'm so worried about the FCC getting in their hands into controlling the Internet. Uh, mm-hmm. Because one thing that they can do is slow down uh, the speed rates of Apple computers versus competitor computers and do it without any public authority to do it until they force Apple's hands to to cave and do something that they otherwise would not be able to do. They do the same thing with uh, IRS audits. Uh, anytime, you, whenever you've got government being too big, they have too many levers to pull that they can make life miserable for somebody who's not doing what they want to do. So for Apple to stand up in this kind of public forum, I think part of the reason they're so public about it is to have protection from some of that potential backlash. Mm-hmm. Dwayne, um, you've got Apple on one side, and I want to touch on this again because I didn't really get the answer I was looking for. You've got Apple on one side saying even if we wanted to do this, even if we were willing to take on the expense and the resources to do this, we really can't. We don't know that we can do this, so you're wasting your time. And the government's saying if you jailbreak this phone, if you give us the coding, because they're not going to allow them to do it, if you give us the coding to break this phone, it's the only one we'll use it for. Are both sides lying or exaggerating? Can Apple easily get into this phone? And can and will the government use it to jailbreak everything in the world? I believe Apple can do it. I believe they can. Um, I'm uh, um, Steve Jobs was an asshole, but he at least he did believe in the security and the privacy of the users of Apple. So I do stand up for him and his current CEO. I, but I do believe they can do it. It's their product. They build it from the ground up. They have every patent. They have every piece of code ever written. I'm sure they can do anything with that iPhone they wanted to. That being said, the government, they can also do it. There are hackers out there. Like I said, Apple has to come out every month, damn near, with a new update to their OS 
for their iPhones because they're yeah, but they're afraid that they're going to melt that phone down. That's why they're not getting outside hackers, and they want mm-hmm. Apple to do it because they're familiar mm-hmm. with the coding. Right, but even still, I am sure if they're able to break Apple's code within a month of a new update, I am sure. Even like I said earlier, it does the the normal jailbreaking that I use. I mean, that my friend uses. That, that does the phone, it wipes a lot of the information. But I am sure there are people out there, third-party people out there, who know how to do it. I am sure there is somebody who knows how to do it without damaging the information. But my question is, what information can they get? If the NSA was already tracking this, everybody's phone calls, conversations, text messages, what could be inside there that the NSA already doesn't have on a archived hard drive somewhere in, in, in one of their buildings. That the NSA couldn't catch the first time around where they dropped the ball, or maybe someone's trying to cover their own ass. But the bigger question yeah. is why the dog and pony show then of raking, um, you know, like I always say, don't drag the Constitution through a sewer to catch a rat. Why the dog and pony show trying to rake Apple over to Kohl's if they could easily get into the phone themselves. Is this just them showing, like what I said on the Bundy thing last week, hey, we're the big exactly. bad government, we can do? Is exactly. that what you That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That is 100% it. They're trying to rein in, saying, look, we got the power, we got the control. Screw you. We're going to do what we want, how we want it. And if you don't like it, like Mike said. But if they lose, it's a game then, right? Because then they just showed that they didn't. They weren't able to bully Apple. So they actually lose credibility on the word of mighty government. So why They probably have cost analysis there saying, okay, what are the best? What are the odds are of us winning against Apple, Apple caving and, they could be wrong. They're probably saying, well, eventually Apple's going to cave or we're going to break it ourselves beforehand. So they're probably looking at, at the odds of Apple caving or them breaking it beforehand and saying, well, here, we proved our might and, yeah, we broke it ourselves or we proved that Apple caved against the, the, the case of, well, if Apple doesn't cave, we can't do it. We lose. They probably looked at the cost analysis and said, more than likely we're going to get into this phone one way or the other and we're going to be the big, bad, tough government. It's just more but game, like you is, said, dog and pony show. Is Dwayne correct? Is this a dog and pony show? And this is just um, the government trying to flex its legislative muscle and show everybody that nobody's going to have information they have no access to? Or do you think they legitimately cannot get into this phone without great risk of burning out all the information? No, I think they legitimately cannot get into the phone. I also think that they thought Apple would cave immediately, so they never expected this to be a public fight. And I am 100% certain that if Apple were to cave and do this, that they would they would take the code and order the code to be turned over to them so they could use it whenever they wanted from here on. This would not be a one-time in this mm-hmm. circumstance only. I can, I'm 100% certain that's that's true. Fair enough. So what do you think? Do you think Apple's going to win today, or do you think the government eventually always gets what they want? They're a snake trying to get a mouse in a bottle. They're always going to figure out how to get pop that cork off and eat that mouse. Uh, you know, I think Apple's going to win the day, and I think the reason they are is because I think Congress is going to be going to get behind them and the people are going to support them. Right now, I think the FBI thought there would be a mass uh, outrage against Apple and that people would start, start
start dropping subscriptions, and in fact, the opposite's happened. So legislators yep. are nothing if not chameleons when it comes to reading the public, and uh, they will read that the public likes the, pri- the privacy argument uh, that Apple's making, and I think support them. Plus, they underestimated, they underestimated the, the Apple fanboys. If you go into any Android Apple uh, forum, Apple fanboys are rabid. They will stand behind Apple for anything. They will cut your head off if you talk bad about Apple. So that right there, they underestimated those people, too, like Mike said, with the subscriptions and the support from Apple supporters. So, yep. Wayne, um, um, an ISIS guy blows up Times Square tomorrow. Does that change the narrative? Does now everybody go, Apple, you better give the government the coding? Well, first of all, it'll make New York a much better better place to live. Uh, second, sorry, second of all. <laughs> that remark didn't work for Ted Cruz. It's not going to work for you. Trust me. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so because, I mean, I, again, but then again, like I said, political audiences are so fickle. Political people are so fickle. They change it. The 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 the, the wind can change in direction one degree, and they're going to change ninety degrees. I still don't think so. I think Apple has such a strong following, and I think this is such an important issue about about privacy. I just think that's. I I don't think it will. Well, that's a good point, Fern. Do you think that this is a Break it or make it issue that this issue is an absolute that a lot of um, things are hinging on this Jenga piece that if it gets pulled out, the whole thing of privacy is just going to collapse? Or do you think this is just one in the many little slight intrusions of the government? No, I think it's a, I think it's a, a pretty important piece. I mean, I, I think that if the government is allowed to force a company to do this, that that opens a lot of very scary doors. I'm not saying the possibility of those doors being opened. That will open a lot of doors. And um, I really hope they can stand their ground and, and win this fight because if this is allowed, I mean, this is just Apple's Apple's just the start. It's going to flow into everything, and it is scary. It's very scary. All right, fair enough. Okay, let's close up on Apple. I got one last thing I want to hit. I want to hit Edward Snowden. Everybody knows the backstory. Um, I don't know how recent this is. I recently read a story on this, and it was a more um, it was a more current story. So I have to believe. But then again, I was talking to somebody who said that Edward Snowden had said this a long time ago. What I was reading was Edward Snowden said he would come back to the USA if he was promised a fair trial. I know you probably have a much better grasp on this, Mike, than any of us. With Snowden, what is the concern, and will he get a fair trial? What does that even mean at this point, and how can anybody even promise him that? Boy, I don't know how you would, if you're Edward Snowden, you take any promise of a fair trial to mean anything. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, who who are you going to believe that could tell you you're going to get a fair trial? Unless the President of the United States, at the time that you know your trial is going to take place, flies over, meets with you, assures you, puts it on tape, puts one of his children in Russia for you to hold hostage, you know, I just don't know what it would take for you to believe you're ever going to get a fair trial. Uh, Why even make that statement? I, when Snowden made that statement, that was the first thing that came to mind. How could anybody give you that peace of mind? How can anybody say you'll get a fair trial? What would it take for uh, me to believe that? 
It may be just a way of him saying, trying to tell people that he would like to be back in the U.S. He just, you know, the conditions just aren't are never going to be able to be satisfied for him to be able to come back. Fern, with him having asylum in Russia, and I believe he's still in Russia, does that lead mm-hmm. to any concerns that maybe Edward Snowden is there um, by giving some information up to Putin and or Russia? Or, I mean, what is Putin's move in this even? How's Edward Snowden? And is it reasonable to think that Edward Snowden has not given up any American information he may know to Russia? Well, the thing about Edward Snowden, and it's very interesting because he first went to Hong Kong and now he's in Russia. But when when they did their interview with him, I think it was in Hong Kong, um, you know, they basically said, look, have you sold any information? You know, have you had any offers? And he said, yeah. He's like, of course I could have. There are people all the time selling secrets to countries all the time. My intent was not to including make a profit us. from this. Yeah, including us. And his intent was not to make a dime. His intent was to bring awareness to everything that was going on. So. To, for him, for is it unreasonable to think that he didn't leak anything? I mean, it's possible, I suppose, but his whole goal from the beginning was just to bring awareness to the amount of surveillance done by the NSA because it was wrong. So I find it hard to believe that he's over there, you know, squealing secrets. I think Putin, this is just a, another little thumb to the nose for the United States. I don't oh, think yeah. he's doing it to gain information, but more just to say, I got your guy. And you can't have him. When I say including us, I don't mean the people on this panel. I mean us as America, the American government. Oh, yes, I understand. Yeah. Well, I I know you understand. I'm hoping anybody else understands out there in the (laughs) ozone. Um, Are you sure I understand? Actually, let me pass it over to Dwayne. Dwayne, does she have a point? Do you think Edward Snowden's on the level? And can he come back here and get a fair trial or is Snowden exiled for life? (laughs) I don't think that he was a low-level data entry guy. I don't think he really had much more to offer than what he released. I mean, he released so much. I don't think, like, he knows the inner workings of Area 51. I don't think he knows the inner workings of who actually pulled Obama's strings. I think he knows what he released, what was on on that data, and I think that's it. I think what's out there he knows. I think Putin knows that, and I think Putin's just, you know, playing his – Trump card, so to speak, and saying, hey, look, we got your guy, this, that. And no, he will never get a fair trial unless, like you said, Obama puts up or Trump puts up his daughter or whatever and goes on national TV. And then I still wouldn't believe that he'd get a fair trial. They'd probably put, you know, a, a, a stunt double in as the daughter and say, here she is, take her, whatever. So I, I don't think he'd ever get a fair trial. Fair enough. All right, let's sit in there. We've got a couple minutes left, and I would love for Mike to tell everybody what you're working on, where they can find you, and give us two minutes why the Golden Rule is so important. Yeah, um, let's see. I'm working on two books now. One is on the mental health track. It's going to be called Hot Wives and Healthy Minds, uh, which I know should attract Dwayne's interest. And I was then, about to uh, say the same thing. How did how did I know my name was gonna be? How did I know? <laughs> and then the other uh, the other is back on the political uh, fiction uh, end, and that's when we get to the edge of the next holy war. What are the things that need to happen to to pull us back from that? And uh, and the best way to find me is at mbushman.com, m b u s h m a n dot com. And from there, all my other links, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that is up there. 
And real quick, a couple hundred words, sum up Golden Rule Amendment, what you're trying to do with that and why it's so important. Yeah, the uh, I've got on change.org, there's a petition to require to put in place a constitutional amendment to require our laws to comply with the Golden Rule. And the idea is that we have so many laws that are out of touch with how we would want to be treated if we were in these those circumstances. You know, just as an example, there was a woman in Florida, Marissa Alexander, who had been being beaten by her husband for years, uh, finally got him out of the house, got a concealed carry permit. He came at her to attack her again. She fired the gun in the air to let her know she was armed. Had she shot him and killed him, she would have been uh, protected by Florida's stand your ground law. But because she fired in the air, she was uh, prosecuted for firing a weapon in anger, and the mandatory minimum sentence was 20 years in prison. Those are the kind of laws that just make absolutely no sense that I think a golden rule constitutional amendment will help us uh, challenge and get rid of. That case right. sick, by the way. Yeah, we all know sick. that case. Okay, Mike, thank you so much. I know you are on the road. I want to thank you so much for calling in and taking time out on your journeys today. To Absolutely speak happy Always to do it. Pleasure, and thank oh. you for verifying my sanity. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely happy we to do that. We all thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <a public forum. laughs> At least on that. <laughs> your sanity, Delaney. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, take care. Bye. All right. We've got a few minutes left before Kettle of Fish. Today we are having Dan Frischman from Head of the Class and Kim and Kill. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I always mispronounce that name. Um, guys, so what do you think? Where are we landing here? I think we're all landing in the same place as far as the Apple case. I think that Fern is a little bit more on the side of giving up a little privacy for security. I think Dwayne is a little on the no privacy for security. And I think I'm more leaning on Dwayne's side this episode. But actually, this all kind of ties in nicely with my article we spoke about, and I'm going to put it on the Ignorance Equation page, and how, and I will say it one more time since we got a couple minutes, nobody can listen, especially to these recent shows, right, Dwayne, and chalk this up as, oh, you liberal show and you lemmings. Nobody can do that, well, especially well, of course, right, since you're agreeing with me, I, 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 I'm glad to see us liberals agreeing on the same, you know, conservative topics here. You know, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with us, you know. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, yeah. Again, you and I agreeing on this, firm being a little off kilter, so to speak, on this. Nobody can look and say, hey, this is a liberal BS show. This We have all, all sides. Look at Mike Bushman. He worked for the Democratic Party, but he agreed with me on a lot of things. So there you go. And Fern, I know you want to chime in on this because you oh, I think you guys are off kilter, not me. Yeah, of course. I, we were, <laughs> but you've been interacting with the fans a lot more than us because you've got your Fern Hard page up where you are talking to fans directly. Where I don't get a chance to do a lot of engaging because I have so much going on. And we're, we're turning a corner, I hope, in this country, right? Where people are hungry, as you said earlier, to come to the middle and find some consensus. And and the whole obstruction destroy the opposition. That's on its way out the door, right? I mean, I think so. And I think the the proof is in like like I said, the sheriff and Graham and you know Rand Paul. All of it, all of it's starting to bleed through. You know, this absolutism mentality is is really getting intolerable for a lot of people. And your article was on the sheriff is a prime example of that. When you get a fifty fifty mix 
from a site where people go to get their news, just like Mike said. People tap into those news sources that kind of side with their views already. So they only they only really tap into what they already agree with. And to to have that 50-50 mix, that, that higher percentage of people saying, you know what, this is cool, I like to see this, that is so hopeful. I mean, and that's what I see from the from the people on the page, too. You know, I, when I post things like let's all be understanding and accepting of each other and embrace our differences and listen to each other, you know, there's a, a huge reception on that, and people are hungry for it. So it's really hopeful and nice to see. Very well. Mm-hmm. Dwayne, I know you've got to take off as usual, so you've got 30 seconds. I'll let you have the last word before we um, kick off Kettle of Fish. Great show, guys. Like I've said multiple times, I'm just glad that my conspiracy theory about the uh, NSA and arbitrary watch list has been reaffirmed, and I'm not totally mental. That's all I want to say. All right. I don't know how much I agree with that. Uh, Dee, you're back with us, right? Yes. Alrighty, Dwayne thinks we will catch you next week. We're going to be talking about child support rights and child support law, something we've wanted to do for a very long time with a men's child support advocate. So I'm looking forward to talking with you next week about that. Have a good week. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Alrighty, coming up on Kettle Fish from Head of the Class and Kean and Kill. Kel, am I saying that correctly? Kean and Kel, yeah. Kean and Kel. All right, here's Kettle of Fish, guys. On Kettle of Fish, actor Dan Kirschman stops by to talk about being nerdy before nerdy was cool. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Master Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. I love that jingle. Every time I hear it, more and more. Welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two hours of political foreplay. Uh, Fern, D, are you guys ready to get fishy with it? Fish sound effects. Now, uh, i got to find a fish sound effect because it just, like, I don't know. It just it needs to be there. Speaking of fish, my cousin in Pittsburgh today had put up a picture of the Pittsburgh, the traditional Pittsburgh fish sandwich, and it's gigantic. It looks like a piece of whale. Oh, and then so I put a picture of, of a fish sandwich I got a few years ago in Pittsburgh, and I was like, yes. So that just that sets the pace for today. All right, coming up is Dan Frischman. I didn't do him justice when I said he was only – well, I only mentioned he was from Head of the Class in Keenan Pill. He also does magic. He does stand-up. He is a writer. He is an author. He is across the spectrum. I am so honored to have Dan Frischman here today. So with no further ado, Dan, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? How are you? We are doing great, sir. I want to thank you so much for calling in today. I grew up a big oh, fan of Head of the Class. I grew up a fan yeah. of watching Keenan and Kill, but especially Head of the Class. Did my due diligence, did my research. I saw the incredible list of things you're involved in. Writing, acting, directing, stand-up, even magic, music. Across yeah. the spectrum, I want to start with this question. We've yeah. got social media. We've got YouTube. 
Um, there's so much white noise out there. You've really got to stand out. Do you feel like entertainment's changed to a point where no matter how talented you are, you can't just be a one-trick pony. You've got to have your hands into several different pies, as it were, and just have a multitude of different talents out there and different kinds of um, content out there for everyone. Well, you are spot on with that because it's all about content now, pretty much. And uh, it's, you know, if, if you can be uh, lucky uh, and hit a show or two like 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 I did, uh, then that will last for a few years. But then what? So uh, if you're just sitting around waiting for the next phone call, uh, well, then you're really shit out of luck because <laughs> it usually doesn't happen that way. Um, so that's why I, you know, uh, really need to work on other skills. I went uh, even after I was on head of the class and during Keenan and Kel on Nickelodeon, I was going to acting school and going to uh, taking writing courses uh, and honing my skills in that. So, um, in coming up with a, a novel that I ended up uh, self-publishing and uh, uh, getting into uh, Barnes and Noble uh, and. Then doing, uh, and I branched out into uh, directing. Uh, I'm directing for Nickelodeon, uh, a show called Sam and Cat uh, that ended last year. So, yes, you really, I believe, have to be ready for everything. Uh, choosing one place to go is, uh, is is really not going to serve you as well as you think. So, is this a smart career decision for you, or is this more like creative ADD? You have so much creativity that you want to explore all these different forms of entertainment, or is a lot of it business-based where you're like, I need to go and try something different and put out a play or write a book and do things to make myself more viable? Uh, it's it, For me, it's a lack of acumen in any, any other form of anything. <laughs> so, it was a uh, uh, process of elimination uh, my, my brother Gary always said, you know, it's a good thing you made it in showbiz because there's nothing else you would have been good at. <laughs> so right I, on. I don't know that I don't know that that's true necessarily, but that was always always has been my interest. So uh, everything I do falls under the uh, umbrella of uh, telling the story. So as an actor, you're uh, a, you know a cog in the wheel, telling the story, and as a director, you're you're uh, the puppeteer, really. Uh, as a writer, you're the first one to know that story. It's just in your head and putting it out there for other people to uh, to work on. Um, so I, 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 it's almost like storytelling is what I do. It's like the one specific thing that I do. Even when I was a uh, a magician at kids' parties, I started out when I was eight years old in New Jersey uh, as the great Houdani. Uh, right. Being a good magician, you're being a good magician doing a magic trick uh, is telling the story. Uh, uh, and and entertaining the uh, the audience. Uh, some magicians are just kind of like, hey, look at this coin, it's gone. That you know, that to me is more just trying to trick your audience. Uh, I think the best magicians are the ones who actually have a story to tell and want to tell it in an entertaining way. Nice. That is a very interesting point. Let me move on to this then, because this kind of bleeds into yeah. that. Taking any financial aspect out of it. Do you have something that you enjoy more or the other? In other words, do you enjoy acting more? Do you enjoy magic more? Do you enjoy stand-up more? Or is it whatever creative passion hits you at that moment and they kind of all balance themselves out? You know, it's I, it's the latter. It's really whatever is going on at the moment. Like right now, as I mentioned, directed for, for television and short films, 
But right now I'm, uh, I wrote and uh, directed a play that just opened last night in Los Angeles. Um, it's called uh, Sex, Faith, and Jason Wexler. Uh, it's an autobiographical play that I wrote uh, 15 years ago uh, and then have now updated. Uh, and it's, uh, I play, well, I actually have a small part in it, but the play is about a nice Jewish boy who falls for a devout Catholic woman whose father is a deacon with the church. And, of course, the problems and comedy inherent uh, therein. But, you know, it's in a small theater, literally like a 56-seat theater, and there's two different casts, and no one gets paid. Uh, and it's most in for right now. It's the most exciting thing I've ever done, <laughs> because because it is right now, and it and it completely envelops uh, my life. And um, and just listening to the laughter of the audience is what feeds me. And that's what's uh, that's what's going on right now. Uh, if and that's wants amazing that, to me yeah. that you could shift gears like that. Is um is there anything like is there a separation when you're going from this venue of entertainment to this venue where you can't bring your baggage in, or is everything you learned from writing a children's book or from being on head of the class is that only building to your skills to be able to go out and write and direct a play? Is it all interwoven, or do you kind of keep it all compartmentalized where it's all its own different entity and nothing from the other bleeds into it? Uh, I'm sure they all bleed together. Um, even a thing like having directed uh, for television uh, probably feeds feeds right into directing this play and, and uh, being uh, when you're directing television, there's so much more involved than just the actors and the scenery. You're you are also directing uh, cameras and learning a lot of technical aspects uh, of television and uh, uh, and and needing to be in control. Uh, and so that kind of, just just the actual control idea while letting people be creative and have their own space uh, kind of what I learned which, which, which is kind of what I brought to the table for the for the theater um, so yeah I, I think it all bleeds together even the writing the uh, the book which was really a, a book for teen audiences uh, pre-teens and teens uh, kind of fed the writing for this play which is really an adult play so I think yeah right. I think you've got a good point there they all do bleed together all right, so the play, Sex, Faith, and Jason Wexler. How long is this play running? Do you feel like you're getting your voice out through this play? You said it was autobiography, correct? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, I I do feel that. It, it's uh, it's really gratifying to um, just take a, a, a bit of my life, really from 18 years ago, and put it out there for two hours and have people uh, – Laugh, enjoy it, and uh, and they tell me talk about it for a while afterwards. You know the the, the thoughtful uh, aspects of it. Uh, we have a website actually. Uh, people can at least look at the actors and, and find out a little more about it. Uh, it's called uh, the, the website is three words: sex, faith, as in ye of little faith, play dot com. Sex, faith, play dot com, and uh, there you would see all the uh, you see what's going on with it. Is it harder to write something that personal and to be involved in something that personal that is um, autobiograph- ah, autobiography? Yeah. Is it harder to do yeah. that than it is to just be handed lines and say, all right, create this person, get in this person's mind space? I would say because you're really, really starting from scratch. Uh, you know, you're starting with a, a, a blank page. Uh, and since I actually lived this relationship and it, it did not end uh, uh, happily, uh, I mean, we're, we're – I'm friends with the the woman involved, 
at, at, at this point. But, you know, at the time it was uh, you know, very dramatic and sad. Um, so it was hard to write at the time I wrote it, but I, I just started putting, I was taking an acting class. And, uh, and again, this was after I'd already been on television. I was, you know, uh, I think for the creative person to be continuing your education and being part of a theatrical community is really key in, in uh, keeping yourself uh, creatively lubricated, if you will. Um, so I, very, I wrote the play very slowly. I would just write a scene and put it up in the, the acting class and have other people play the part so I could watch them do it. Uh, and it came together over really over a period of two years. Uh, and it really helped me um, uh, learn about what that relationship was. And so it was very, um, it was an educational experience as well as a gratifying one creatively. And I imagine in um, doing a play, especially in a smaller venue, as opposed to doing a big show in front of a giant audience and cameras going, I imagine that the energy is like more two-way energy, and it is a lot, you feel a lot more connection with the audience, right? But, yeah, oh, absolutely. That's why, that's what really makes it so fun. There's nothing, there is no separation. There's not, there's not, you're not sitting between the cameras and the studio audience or the, you know, or or just on yourself at a, a TV screen. It is very immediate, uh, you know, and I can make changes to the script, little changes, like right before the show, if some, if I want to. So uh, it's, it's it's very wow. immediate, vital. Yeah. So a lot of creative freedom then is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And oddly enough, it becomes a lot doing a teeny little play like this in a teeny little theater becomes a tremendous load of work because everyone's just volunteering their time and. Uh, so I find myself directing and then moving furniture and uh, painting and I mean everybody, I, I get a lot of help, but you know it's it's my play and so I'm kind of the lead uh, puppeteer if you will, putting it all together. So it is, uh, you know, it is nonstop. And, yeah. And and, and 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 fun too at the same time. All right, let me shift gears here because where I primarily knew you from was head of the class. And I found yeah. out a couple of things I didn't know about that. I watched the Getting to Know Dan video. One thing I didn't know is you were 27, and I believe you were 32 when the show ended. That is amazing <laughs> is to me. I would have never in a million years guessed you were 27 going into that role. That's true. And uh, I, when I auditioned for that part, I mean, playing a 16-year-old high school student uh, named Arvid, you know, nerdy character, uh, and I had no compunction, no no problem about lying about my age when I walked into the audition. Uh, and that was almost like the first question they asked me: "How old are you?" I said, I, and I said I was 22. Even though even though the part was for a 16 year old, I figured they would buy 22 for me. Uh, right. And I always had a, I always had kind of a baby face, which didn't help me in college with the women. But it finally it finally <laughs> paid off uh, with the TV show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was. And certainly by the time I was 32, it was time to exit high school. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Is it really hard to be part of such a huge ensemble class? Are people kind of like trying to get more airtime, as it were, or trying to get more storylines that involve them exclusively? Or were, was everybody yeah. just so happy to be a part of that? It was like, hey, I don't care if I have five lines or 50 lines. Yeah. I'm I'm just so happy to be part of this thing because this is such an amazing show. Yes, I think at first everyone's just really uh, feels really lucky to have a job in show business whatsoever, where you know, you know, you know, next week we are your you know, your next paycheck is coming from. 
and, and, and then just getting up and going to the set and is really just an exciting, you know, wonderful experience. Uh, but then after a while, yes, you you are looking for the scripts to uh, hopefully feature you a little more. And uh, and I think, you know, some of the people who weren't as featured might have gotten, been a little frustrated. But at the same time, there is that part about having a steady, having a steady job. So that's nice, too. And um, I was told by the writers that they loved writing for my character, Arvid, because uh, he had very few limitations and there were many places to take him. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's, um, there, so it was a little of both. A little like, yes, eventually everybody wants to have their moment in the sun, but at the same time, even if you're not getting it that week, you're, you feel lucky to be working in the industry. Is there a fear after doing a show for five years? I know there's got to be a fear of being typecast, right? After being recognized as Arvid and then going out into the world trying to look for new work, was there a lot of apprehension there of being typecast and only being able to get the more nerdy roles? Uh, no, I, I, I was more I was uh, more nervous about being not cast than being typecast. Um, I mean, you know, when you think about it, look at uh, – uh, Eddie Murphy's early career. He's always just playing Eddie Murphy, or uh, or John Wayne always played John Wayne. They weren't so worried about getting uh, you know getting typecast. Um, uh, Rick Moranis, the you know one of the one of the big movie nerds, uh, would always play Rick Moranis as <laughs> a nerd, and uh, so it's a, and he always seemed to enjoy it. So it wasn't so much a um, a case of being nervous about being typecast, but uh, not getting work at all. Uh, so when I, I landed Keenan and Kel you know, a couple of years later, uh, it was a similar character. It was kind of in the same vein, more goofy than nerdy, I guess. Right. Um, but, but, you know, you're always just happy to have a job. And that show still holds up. I played it for my daughter. I found an episode on YouTube, and I played it yeah. on the Roku box for my daughter and her friend, and they were both 10, and she loved it. And I was like, this is still oh. translating. It was the one where there was a – a robber going around robbing stores, and um, Keenan had knocked oh, yeah. him out the door, and they were just yeah. laughing. Yeah, and like, yeah, they were just yeah. laughing and loving it, and I think it's great. Oh, great. And and you can't really find head of the class out there. I found a couple clips, and I'm like, this still holds yeah. up too. And that's got to be amazing yeah. to be part of something that 50 years from now somebody's going to go find these shows and see your performance. Yeah. And there's something fundamentally human about them. Where you'll still be able to relate, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and it, you know, especially they, they run Keenan and Cal on occasion, especially because Keenan Thompson, uh, one of the two stars, is uh, now famous on Saturday Night Live. Um, so they, so that they will be playing those even more, I think. Um, Absolutely. For a little, for for a little while after it ended, uh, it's the WB uh, channel. I understand was. Uh, interested in continuing it, but I think that that just didn't that just kind of petered out for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's it is kind of uh, I I love it when uh, a parent and a teen will both recognize me, but from the different shows. Like the parent was uh, you know, grew up on head of the class, and the twenty something teen or twenty something grew up watching uh, Keenan and Kel, and they both and, and the parents say, well, why do you know him? Because <laughs> they hadn't seen Keenan and Kel. And the right, team right. say, well, why do you know him? So that's kind of fun to uh, – uh, now I have to appeal to a new generation, so perhaps uh, another show will come along. Who knows? 
Well, I mean, you're doing so much. Once again, I have respect for anybody who can just juggle so many different creative balls in the air, and you've got so much going on. I've listened to um, a music clip that you put out there. I've looked at the Amazon for the book and kind of looked oh, at yeah. that, and there's just so much. And I, like, my mind is blown that you can just keep all this creativity going and, and orchestrate it in so many different venues. And that's got to be something, we talked about that earlier, that's got to be something that is very beneficial to your career. So I think you'll be with us for a very long time. I don't think there's any fear well, of Dan Frischman dwindling out anytime soon. <laughs> well, thanks. And I, I, and I would tell your uh, listeners that uh, my if you go to my website, where the book is bookaboutmagicians.com. If you go to bookaboutmagicians.com, you'll see my book there. Absolutely, and I know I'm going to pick a copy up for my daughter, too, because now she knows you from Keenan and Kel, and that's something she can wrap her brain around. Let me touch on this one oh, last that. thing, because I yeah. I love this article that you wrote. It's called The Sitcom Devil Giveth and Taketh Away. It was from the Los Angeles yeah. Times. You did a, yeah. and you wrote about in there how you were recognized as Arvid, and it was kind of not in the most flattering way. And if you yeah. could just touch on that real quick, because the question running through my mind was, is this something that irritates you, or are you just happy to be recognized regardless? And are you still getting recognized as Arvid, or has there been enough distance from that where that's not really something that happens anymore? Uh, it happens very seldom. Now people kind of look at me and go, you know, did we go to high school together? Uh, right. But – but you know, but also in in uh, I live in Los Angeles, so uh, if people recognize me, you know, in the supermarket. Well, you know, who cares? Because uh, you know there'll be a much bigger name uh, in the produce aisle. So um, uh, I I never felt I always felt that being recognized was more just a novelty and and kind of fun, but not uh, certainly not anything that uh, made me feel uh, you know superior in any way to any. Other living being, uh, it just it just kind of a fun idea. Uh, so that when that ended, uh, I was old and I was old enough when I began head of the class to know that this is not something that is going to last necessarily. Um, I was you know certainly prepared for it, and if I get recognized, fine, and if not, that's absolutely fine with me too. I can you know I, I enjoy just doing my writing and, and directing uh, and just uh, being creative. So that's you know the, the, the recognition part is really not part of the part of the game for me oh good i think that's a very um pure way of looking at it and maybe that's why you have been so successful all these years okay we got to wrap things up here dan please tell everybody where they can find you and um all the different places and what you're working on give us the whole down here okay well first of all i'll tell you about my uh i have it all on my website dan frischman.com and that's frischman with a c f-r-i-s-c-h-m-a-n uh, and I, I have a, a book out, the play uh, that I'm in and wrote and directed just uh, opened in Los Angeles last night. And that's, uh, that's exciting for me. And uh, uh, I'll be directing uh, some more shows for Nickelodeon. And, uh, and then uh, who knows if lightning strikes and I'll be on another show. All righty. I wish you all the best. Thank you. I know you had things going on today, so I want to thank you for taking time out and spending your afternoon, at least 20 minutes of it, with us. I got a lot out of this. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. All righty. All right, guys. That is all for Kettle of Fish this episode. We will catch you next Sunday. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye, guys. <laughs>